Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock here in the UK. I'm John Hindorf, this is Series 13, Episode 21 of Midweek Motorsport. Good to have your company tonight. And it's all hands to the pump for what is getting to be one of the busiest times of the year for us here at the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. So tonight, on a packed show, we have what, Tim Gray up in London? We have all the usual features. Welcome back, John. Thank you very much. Don't uh, feel like I went anywhere, to be honest. Uh, you missed last week's show. Oh, I didn't. Yes, you I've, did. I've listened. Uh, uh, you'll notice you weren't in it much. Uh, we have uh, all the news. We have some features. We have uh, Nick Damon. We have Shay Adam. We have Graham Goodwin. We have Johnny Palmer. Yeah. Uh, we are talking about Pike's Peak. The, the great excitement of Pike's Peak. The excitement just keeps coming. We're going to be talking about Lunamon Test Day. The excitement just keeps coming. And we might even talk about what's happening in Detroit this weekend. The excitement just keeps coming. I uh, feel I feel that should be on a hotkey. Well, let's uh, come to that later. <laughs> uh, yes, so plenty of things for you to stay tuned into tonight. Obviously, quite a lot to talk to. Uh, talk about uh, with the weekend just passed with a huge weekend of motorsport in the US and as Tim's just said Graham and Johnny talking about uh, one of two live broadcasts we have for you on the RSL network this weekend Mobile One Radio Le Mans 90, uh, 91.2 FM how did I nearly get that wrong uh, will be on the air in France and of course around the world as we still are the only broadcaster that brings uh, live coverage of the two four-hour sessions. And it's a full run-through this weekend. I'll tell you more about that a bit later on. But a very special programme in the lunch break. We're sounding more and more like test match special, but it's something very important. Let me run down uh, a few of the housekeeping uh, items. David Two Bruce checking in for the uh, show tonight, says Evening Collective. And uh, James... Counter has no AFAs tonight. First of his exams this week and just one left before the first year of his uni course is done. He said, uh, I'm knackered though. Bed will be following straight after the show. Uh, Michael Denny is listening tonight while out on a run around the Red Bull Town. Uh, it's the middle of the week, so I'm down to only six out of eight gears. Thank you. Uh, the Alexander Orkin is uh, not listening tonight. He's driving his daughter back from Birmingham University. Be much easier to drive a car. Yes, good point. I see what you said. He's looking forward to the podcast, though. Uh, Kevin Payne listening tonight. Uh, Daniel Love says, uh, "Evening all. Just a quick one from last week. An idea 
Uh, just a quick one from the weekend. An idea to improve the Monaco show, make all three compounds instead of two. Required you the, the race free choice to start on. Yes, you'd get two stra- stops, but create the strategy. I have a suspicion that uh, Nick will be talking about that later on this evening. Chris Suku says, Evening all. Uh, wrong part of the world, so AFAs. I'm already in the land of Thursday by the time you're seeing this. Have a wonderful midweek motorsport. I'll catch you on, on the podcast, and I will be listening in uh, on Sunday for Le Mans Test Day. Uh, UK time, 8 till midday, and then through till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And as I said, no need to chill. Uh, 5 o'clock in the away. afternoon. At 5 o'clock in the afternoon in the UK, yes. No need to tune away uh, in terms of that because of that exciting link programme. Carol Brink says, listening live, I hear that the excitement just keeps coming. TM, yes, very good. Uh, and indeed it does. Shuffle your papers, Tim, and get ready for the news. What's our hot key story of the night? All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we start with Formula One, which means we need to introduce our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Hello, John. Hello, Tim. Hello, everybody. I, I was expecting a yay there. Well, I yayed when he said Formula One in the, in the intro. I think I, I think I may have suffered a premature yay. Oh, did you? Um, which at my age is a nightmare. Um, Not, nothing worse than going a... off early, is there? Exactly. Do you want to give me, and now Formula One, and I'll give it a yeah. All right. And now Formula One. Yay! There we go. Got to keep everybody happy. Exactly. Um, all right. Um, let me get let me get this out go first. On, I'm going to get this out Shut first. I watched all of go it. On. I watched all of it. Really? I've said... Wow. My my father watched all of it and said it was too boring to go to sleep to, um, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> I don't think you torture old age pensioners like that. I know, it's bad, <laughs> isn't it? It's bad. Um, I, I understand, sort of, why, why it's still on the calendar, but it's an anachronistic event. It has no place on the calendar. Um, although, in fairness, it's nothing that widening the circuit and adding a decent long straight wouldn't fix. Discuss. Yeah, stick a pontoon bridge all the way out to about a mile and a half into the med and come back again. Um, you could get okay. more people round it then. You know, you could park even more ridiculously expensive boats there. I think you have a business case that uh, uh, Prince Albert really should consider. Hmm. Uh, I don't, yeah, this is a situation I, I kind of knew that come Wednesday, I was thinking about this on Sunday, I'm going to have to defend the Monaco Grand Prix of 2018. And, and I thought... Uh, yeah, it was terrible. Um, it was a perfect storm of terribleness. Well, can I start? Can I start with practice and qualifying? Because I watched that quite was, a lot of it. Wasn't, but that wasn't terrible. Well, that was great. I, I watched quite a lot of it, even though I was in Seattle. Um, I watched the ESPN coverage, and they had okay. the early sessions on because obviously that was Thursday, um, and that was you know that was great. Uh, I watched a bit of that. It was interesting, but. For all the cars were going way quicker than ever before, I didn't find it as spectacular. That low shot that points back towards to back, uh, coming with the cars coming towards you, making that first left-right into the swimming pool con- uh, complex, whatever else happens at Monaco, I always thought that that was one of the most spectacular changes of direction. You see the cars work, and you see the deflection on the tyres, you see the, the good guys drifting them. I didn't mm-hmm. even think that looked particularly spectacular, which is bizarre, because they were going fast around there. So, what went wrong? 
well, they weren't drifting them as much because, of course, they've got a lot more grip. They were nailed down mm. to the ground with downforce and tickets. Um, interestingly, you, you, obviously, during your little sojourn to Seattle, you missed the end, our last week's MW, and I'm sure you've listened to it, where Tim confidently told me that Television Monte Carlo no longer provide the pictures. Uh, but unfortunately, I use that word very wisely, unfortunately, Television Monte Carlo do still provide the pictures, and it was incredibly substandard. Yeah. Uh, actually, far worse than Formula 2. But it, it, it's, yeah, you, it if you've got a team that's there, there all the time who will do special things and do special things, um, you know, uh, and there was clearly around your race. Clearly, no communication. Uh, listen, you know, it, it's a tough job, I know, but clearly, you no. Know, one, one of the things I noticed, and I did uh, that, I have that on my list actually, um, to talk about because I was going to ask you that question. Because uh, what I noticed was just how the graphics of the pictures didn't match up. Um, quite a lot and whoever was directing the pictures seemed to have had some kind of uh, attention deficit disorder because they couldn't stay on one (laughs) thing for more than two and a half or three seconds and by the time the poor graphics people had got the all right this is the gap between Ricciardo and Vettel at turn 11 up they'd already changed to something else which was at turn two and I was like are you kidding me it we did been... see a return of last name beating last name again a couple of times because it was going all over the shop. Yes. Um, but that's it. You know, it, it was, it was uh, Monte, Television Monte Carlo provide the picture. Television Monte Carlo provide the director. Television Monte Carlo provide the cameraman. And actually, the cameraman are okay. It's the angles they're cameraing from. Uh, but the graphics course is entirely driven and run from um, the limited Bernie village. It will probably still be at the um, the uh, exhibition centre. So yeah, I mean, and, and the disjoint was very, very obvious and has shown that, you know, we all moan about everything, how far the Absolutely. effective post-broadcasting of F1 has come. Because we expect yes. to see what we want to see. I and mean, they missed a lot of stuff. I mean, not, not a lot happened, but a lot of stuff happened they didn't see. Did you see the F2 race? I saw, oddly, I saw the second one, but not the first well, one. I, I saw well, the highlights of the first one, and I saw the second one. Well, I saw the first one, but not the second one. Now, what I don't know is whether the commentators... Oh, no, there must have been, because they had Johnny Herbert, so they must have been on site for that. And mm-hmm. they were on a two-and-a-half to three-second delay from what was see- the pictures to what they were seeing, which I presume meant they weren't on a direct link to the pictures. They were looking at it on a digital in-house system mm-hmm. in, in the commentary box. It was really noticeable. And it, it, was, ah, it not, was... Not on race two. Not on race two. Mm. So that might have been that fixed. Seems, that seems standard to me. All right. Uh, okay. Um, all right. Okay. Let's let's get on to the race. First thing I want to well, say. No, we have, no, we have to go, we have to go to free practice three first. Oh yes, free practice three. Realistically, of the two major events that happened, both of which concerned Red Bull this weekend, mm. uh, was this more major than a completely expected victory? A completely expected shunt in the barriers. Um, I, it's 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 a really really interesting thing. Now I, I was I, I don't know whether you saw it on your on your feeds mm. of various social media. Someone had put together a frame by frame copy of his 2016 accident that took him out and his 2018 accident, and they laid overlaid them above. And apart from that, he was going a tad quicker in 2018 because everyone was. It was exactly, exactly the same. The same. Mm. Exactly the same mistake. Too much um, curb coming into that that, that um, chicane complex and breaking the steering arm. Nowhere to go and just impacting uh, the barriers. And it, you're sitting here, and yeah, we all know. And let's let's, let's, let's rewind back, John, to perhaps Mex- to Mexico last year, which was the anti-penultimate race of the year. And when he won, and it was another race where Red Bull was perfectly suited to, and Fettel and Hamilton got in a, got in a pointless row, and Max was 
imperious fantastic he is the greatest driver ever he's 19 or maybe even just turned to him and he will be world champion very very soon he is you know it's just about getting a decent car um you know this year you know the, the one thing he's not looked like at any point is someone who's ever going to be a world champion no, yeah he's guys win the odd race he's the eyes he's the guy who can, who can be a mover and shaker but he's he's just not He's not put forward a clean race this year. Well, Even the one he came third in last two weeks ago, he pinged off the end of his wing. So, and this was ridiculous. What, you know, someone said to me, I think, I think it was, I think we were talking about it with Joe actually, and Joe said to me, "Did you, did you see?" It? I said, "Yeah, I saw it." I said, "Oh, he was trying to, yeah, you know, he, he was unsighted with that Renault it came upon." I went, <sighs> "Yeah, but hang on, Joe, this wasn't qualifying. No. This was free practice three. Oh, lap's gone. He's off. Doesn't matter." Yeah. You know, why why do you keep your foot in when you've been unsighted when it doesn't matter? It's a judgment call. I said, look, we only we didn't see that many accidents this, this at all actually in this no. entire event because the extra grip I think mainly. Yeah. But I put I said so so how many thousand times during the course of the weekend did driver A come across driver B in a place they weren't expecting them, and how many times did a driver completely ruin their chance of their best result of the season once? And who was it? Max. Yeah. Why is the question? What's going on in that boy's head? And well, I think that's what, what, what beginning to come out. Sorry, but what beginning to come out in the, in the Red Bull management team as well. Yeah, what worries me is, and and you brought it up, the similarities between the the accident a couple of years ago and the accident this weekend, just gone. He does not seem to be learning at all, and I, I have spoken to drivers in the past um, who have had a reputation for crashing, and they defence that they always give is ah oh, yeah well it was a different crash you know I didn't make I've never made the same mistake twice do I make mistakes yes have I made the same mistake twice no absolutely haven't well he is making the same mistake several several times over and it just appears that he, he's not learning I said right at the beginning of Verstappen mania that he had a long way to go and we'd need to give him 18 months to two years to find out if he was genuinely the wunderkind that mm. everyone was talking about. I said at the time that um, I had no issues with the way he attacked, but I had a lot of issues about the way he defended. I don't think that's changed. I think it's changed a little bit, but not massively. But I still don't think he's got his head right. And I, should I tell you what I think the problem is, Nick? I still <laughs> think the problem is he's dad. Mm, now, see, that, interestingly, again, that was something else that, that uh, Joe Bradley was saying. I think that one of the problems is, and interestingly, another driver who struggled massively during the weekend was Lance Stroll, mm. and both of them came straight up from F3 without mm. a year in F2. Now, not wishing to bias a business model, I think that, and I know the, super, the new super, super formula. Uh, super, super licensed regular supposed to do this, but perhaps that will move. I think everybody has to do either a season of, of F2 or a season of IndyCar before they're allowed an F1. Mm. I genuinely do. I think you. Well, need hang on, though. Lance that. Stroll. There's another. There's another similarity. Lance Stroll's got a pushy dad as well. That's true. Yeah, but I. I, I just think they need. Uh, you know, they, the reason the ladder is there. It's not just. Well, obviously, it is there to take money out, Daddy. But it is actually <laughs> there to learn. You know, right. and and you look at people who come up and they make mistakes, and you, and you and you look at the. You know, the, the amount of learning that went on the F2 races, I mean, some people hit the wall and came back and then worked out what they were doing. And, 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 and you know, and you think, and also you get a kind of a, an idea of being on the circuit, get a bit of the pressure off you. But, you know, I think 
I mean, let me go, let me use this right now. I think Verstappen's a great driver. Mm. And I think in five years' time, we'll have forgotten all about this because he'll probably have won a sure. world championship or, or two world championships. I know you're not. I know, I know. I think I, I have a more positive concept of his growth, whereas you think he's only going one way. But I just think, I think in five Go, years, it'll be fine. But, you know. I tell you now, Nick, he's oh, had six, six, <laughs> six mistakes in six races. He doesn't yeah. book his ideas up. He's out of Red Bull. He will be out he's of Red 20. Bull. A twenty million pound a year contract. I think it's now for three years. You can bet your bottom dollar there's no crash clause in it. So, well, well we've seen it's what it's contracts mean for uh, for Red Bull. We've seen <laughs> what contracts mean for Red Bull. I'm not but, saying he'll be out of Formula One, but Red Bull will. You know, the, if they are to challenge for world championships for manufacturers, which is where they're sponsors and their partners and Tag Heuer who brand the Renault engines get their value where that comes from if they're going to challenge they can't have only one driver doing well and there's going to be there's going to be pressure coming from it and it's it's just not good enough now in fairness he drove pretty well in the race Uh, he, he got you know what you might have expected out of that got ninth position um and you know by dint of not doing any of the silly things and that was the points that were on offer well done to him he was helped out by people being stupid around him um and he got what three points rather than 18 basically because that 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 he would have won he would have won obviously because because he didn't have the problem that um uh, the engine problem. Ah, that's if, if so that's, he, he should have been on the front row um, or somewhere near it. So he would have been in the top he, four he or five. Be on the front row. That car was so much better this weekend than anything else out there. It was so much lighter on its tyres as well. I think that was the, the key thing to the I point mean, where yeah. they, they didn't even... What did they have? 11, series, 11 sets of the uh, super oh, stickies? Super soft. Deeper soft, yes. Mm. I, think, I, think, yeah, I, think, I think it's very... When I was, when I was watching, watching the race... And, you, and for a while it was quite interesting because you kind of didn't know what people were going to do and and you, it, really, really you didn't know what people were going to do whether they were going to stop the second time or not but the, the, I was reminded a little bit of oddly the Red Bull has become the inverse Williams of two years ago yeah. do you remember the Williams two years ago was absolutely crackingly good on low down four circuits yeah you know, they start thing on pole in Austria, and all right, they, because they were up against Mercedes at their height, they didn't win any races. But they came you know, third in the construction that's sort of, because they built a car that was brilliant at uh, low down four circuits. But I think what I don't know whether it's the design philosophy that uh, Red Bull have taken this year, but they've obviously decided to optimise their car for the races they think they can win, which are Monaco, Hungary, Singapore, and some of the other you know higher down force tracks. Yeah, but Adrian yeah. Newey can't drive, d- can't draw a car that doesn't have high down force. He, he leans. Well, he's got everything's on an angle. The, yeah. the car's the most raked of anything. I, 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 I'm going to have to look at his seat the next time I see Adrian, see if it's tilted to one side a bit. I, there's something he, he can't draw a car that doesn't have inherent downforce. But even if he tries to draw a flat surface, it's it's somehow works as a wing and gives 150 pounds of downforce. I mean, the man's a genius, but he doesn't draw slippery cars. I know, and this is why. And they've like they always accepted that, and they they produced a car yeah. that is a, a master of that. Of that, and the next next week we go on next week's fourth time we're going to the low, lowest downforce. They have to work out what they're going to do. It'll change around. This is why uh, the statements are that, that, that uh, Daniel Ricciardo is in the World Championship are unfortunately not actually a fact because the car isn't of the next fifteen tracks going to be fourteen at left. It's not going to be it's only going to be super competitive at two more of them. Realistically, you know, less less in changes, and why they need to change is when they're going to dig up fifty more horsepower. But it was a great performance by Ricciardo. I mean, I, I again, not wishing to be Mister Down on everything that's going on. I kind of have a bit of a bit of a you know, 
irritation with the hyperbole that's been going about oh, what, well. what he achieved against what he achieved. You know, it's exactly the same as Schumacher being stuck in fifth gear. No, it's, no, not, it's no. not. Basically, he had he lost. First of all, brilliant victory, brilliant performance, oh, brilliant. great drive. Yeah, yeah, agreed. But the problem he was driving was he'd lost. 160 horsepower on the track where you need horsepower the least. Yeah. They weren't running to anywhere near the fastest they were going. They were running to a tyre. And so you lose a second and a half because of power. It doesn't matter because you're running to that speed anyway. Well, they were running 10 seconds slower a lap. 10 seconds slower a lap than they were running in qualifying. In race trim, I think that car was at least a second of a lap faster than the, than the Ferrari and the Mercedes. The Ferrari had absolutely, you know, when he by the time he had the problem with the MGU, uh, already at that point, um, Fettel was heavily struggling with his front left, and to actually overtake someone in in Monaco, you probably need about four seconds on them, not two. Yeah. So. Yes, he stri- He did well. He managed to manage the the brake bias and everything else, and sort those things out. Well, and, it didn't and, even because of the speed of the guys at the back who were stopping for tyres. Mm-hmm. Like God bless you, he didn't even really catch any any back mm-hmm. markers. I mean, at one stage, the back markers were three and four seconds a lap quicker than the guys at the front. Yeah, and, and, and I think so, so. Let's get it wrong. He he drove a perfect race in difficult circumstances, but actually, genuinely, he, he, the only threat he was ever under was a mistake by himself. Or the whole thing packing up. And, and all the whole thing backing up because Fettel was Fettel's car wasn't in any, any, any shape. No. Lewis's car wasn't in any shape. The only car that was in any shape to do anything was Valtteri Bottas's car on the super soft tyres. Now it's stuck behind three cars you couldn't overtake because it wasn't four seconds faster than them. Yeah. Um, and then it got to the point where oh, we, we, we got this hobbled leader, but to try and attack him, you'd have to take a pit stop, which would put you behind three other people. And even though you might be on hyper soft and two and a half or three seconds a lap faster, no, there was nowhere. There's still no guarantee you could get past Valtteri Bottas if you were uh, Sebastian Vettel, or you could get past Kimi Raikkonen if you were Lewis. Lewis Hamilton. So everyone was stuck in this procession of slowness, watching the sixth place man slowly troll. I mean, I think Ospen Ockham was 22 or 23 seconds when he came uh, across the line. Yeah, when he started his pit, final pit stop, he got right behind them before he dropped off. And it's like, well, you know, this is just this is just ridiculous. And it's not only do we have the processional nature of the track, the way they've chosen the tyres, they've managed to choose tyres which made racing impossible because no one could do anything off strategy because you can't overtake At any other track. And so I go back to if you think about that, if, if the same things that happened to, you know, at Barcelona last week, he, you know, even. He'd be Ricardo would be eaten alive because people could get past him uh, either on the tyres or on power, and that's why when you look at what Schumacher did 24 years ago with the car stuck in fifth gear, not sixth gear, to bring it home in second, including yeah. starting and including a pit stop and getting the car off the off the line, line in fifth, you know that's uh, again not belittling Danny. Brilliant no, no, no. I thought it was a good performance. I think more more belittling the fact that. The, the modern media always wants to have the best thing that's ever happened in the history of ever have happened the last weekend. Yes. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent, is talking to me, John Hindhoff, Tim Gray, up in London Hello. for uh, Series 13, episode uh, number 20. So, uh, Australia went mad. Uh, Danny Rick wins uh, for the first time in Monaco after a little bit... Little bit of, uh, yeah, a little bit of redemption for a couple of years ago when he should have won and the team norsed it up for him at his pit stop. Uh, so that was all good. Vettel gets a good point for the championship. Hamilton, I, I thought Mercedes had half a chance when they brought Hamilton in early, but they needed to have put him on the super softs uh, and not the ultras. I, I thought Mercedes in 
Uh, I thought that was reasonable tactical decision. However, the best thing that they did with Lewis was keep him calm through the race. His tyres actually cleaned up towards the end of the race um, and certainly didn't get very much worse. I thought they were all in yeah, trouble. I think, I think, in fairness, if you, if you walk out of, out of that event, um, I, I would think that the top three teams are all pretty happy. Well, Lewis really. has only lost three points of his lead. Yeah, this is going to be their worst race. You know, yeah. they, they still have a challenge at Hungary. But the possible hungry they have done okay in the past and the challenge of Singapore, but they always knew they're up. They're, they're really stymied here, and he came in third and lost three points to Fettel. Fettel kind of thought, well, second was the best I could get. I've got the best I can get. Yeah. Possibly Fry were probably hoping they could have got, you know, well, what should have been third and fourth if, if the Stafford hadn't mm. lost it. It was second and third, but obviously, you know, the number two driver did the number two job. Um, so I think that all the three teams kind of thought this is a status quo event. This is what happened. And the only thing that the, the outlying result was that uh, Verstappen was in ninth because he's an idiot. Yeah. So, you know, and, and you come through and you go, that's, that's, really, well, what, the, that's, the, that's really what people look at. There was another outlying result um, because, well, first of all, uh, Esteban on um, sixth, uh, picks up points again for Force India, Mercedes. Uh, Gasly, seventh. Hulkenberg, eighth. For Renault, had a fairly interesting I think, race. I think, yeah, let's spin back to that. Ocon did, finally, finally got things together on the weekend. He's had, he's had bad luck. I mean, you know, from, I think he started his career never crashing in this, this, this year. He's had no end of problems. And, um, so he did very well. Hartley uh, was time. seventh in, in practice three, and it all went wrong for them in, in yeah. qualifying. It's, it's as much as we love him, it's not looking good for Brendan, to be honest. No. Um, Gasly has put in a second stellar performance. Mm. Um, and in between his stellar performances, you know, the problems he's had have not been in his own making. You know, he was taken out by Grosjean, Grosjean in the last race. He had a problem because he had to avoid Hartley in uh, in Baku. And, and so the car, obviously, it's quite a peaky car, that Taurus. It, it's obviously just... It decides one weekend or the next to be good and the bad, and there's no real reason behind it. Um, but he's maximising. Brendan's just having problem after problem. Obviously, the problem that took him out of the race was not his own fault. He got clobbered by Charles Leclerc, who had who no had, brakes. Had no brakes, and then, again, it's his eye Leclerc with no brakes. So there's no, you know, again, no, no fault on that one. But it just goes to show how luck goes around. Um, um, yeah. So Brendan, no look for Brendan. Uh, Nick, or the two Renaults actually eighth and tenth. Not a bad result for them. Carlos Sainz once again plays the team game. Let his teammate through, which was the right thing to do. Uh, but I've got to talk. I've got to talk about Williams. Oh my goodness, they looked awful all weekend, and it culminated in an awful race. It wasn't bad rehearsal, bad dress rehearsal, good first night. It was bad dress rehearsal and absolutely awesomely terrible in the race. <laughs> and they looked all at sea. Uh, it was very bad. Though one of the things I thought was very, very interesting, do you remember the most controversial incident of last year, John? Uh, clearly not. Well, when when Sebastian drove into Lewis. Oh, oh, no. Oh, yes. I'm, thank you for bringing this up. I've got that written down. Yes, when when he... Sebastian drove into Lewis. He basically destroyed the entire of the FIA's road safety concept in one go. In one swell foop, yes. Uh, he, he got, for that, road rage, endangerment of life and stupidity. He got a 10-second stop and go... Penalty. Yeah, which actually cost Williams, him nothing during the race because of the nature yeah, of the track at Azerbaijan. Yeah, you're right. Williams, for the for the enus crime against nature of having a stuck wheel nut, so they put their tyres on after the three-minute buzzer. Yeah. So just listen to this, dear listener. They hit the one tyre had a wheel nut problem, so it went on after the three-minute buzzer. Three minutes, not three seconds. 
receive the same penalty. Discret. At a circuit, at a circuit where it basically put them a lap down, and that wasn't that wasn't a a penalty that was allowed to be served as they came into the pit lane. That was a drive through plus ten. That wasn't a ten second hold on their pit stop. That was disgraceful in a season where we've seen some very very odd officiating at the very top of our sport. That was another unfathomable decision. It may well be by the book, but if that's the case, then somebody needs to look at the book. I absolutely agree with you. The book needs to be written. It's pretty much saying, right, let's have a look. So, okay, Sergei Sorokin, you appear to have stolen a Twix bar from the local supermarket. Therefore, (laughs) I'm afraid I'm going to have to sentence you to life. And then Lance, you just murdered your entire family. It's life for you as well, I'm afraid. You know, yes. it's, it's that. It's just so ridiculous. Um, no, anyway, that's true. That wasn't error that. making. Um, but yes, apart from that, the whole thing was a disaster. Now, the good news for them, of course, is that the Monaco Grand Prix was the one they were most worried about uh, Robert Kubica's arm on. Uh, so that, that's gone past now. So perhaps they can... Uh, what they need, desperately, is a incredibly intensive test session at a track with experienced drivers who know what's going on. Hang on. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wheel back. Didn't we say how much of a... I think it was you that said it. How much of... You know, this is kind of what we expected. Sorotkin and Stroll. There's financial implications for Williams, which is not the powerhouse it used to be. But we said at the start of the season, your issue is going to be you don't have the experience there. Who's developing the car? Who's, who's driving the boat? Um, who's developing the car? Sorry, um, that was a taken reference there. Who's driving the boat? Um, who's developing the car? And that and it hasn't happened. And there's nobody developing the car. And they haven't got the voice of reason and experience. And if I sound frustrated about this, I am. Because I'm a big fan of Williams. And I'm a big fan of what they've done in the sport. And they should be doing better. And over the last five, six, seven, eight years, they have been pretty pants. Um, no, I, I disagree with that. I think actually they've only been really bad the last two years. Prior, prior to losing uh, Bottas at the last minute and having to mm. shuffle around the driver, the previous car, two years prior to that, or three of the two of the like, three years prior to that, they were third in the, in the constructors' championship, which for a fully independent team, whilst depressing for you and I, he knew him as the nineties eighties and nineties powerhouse. Yes, true. John, is not too bad. It's gone completely wrong as they've started to chase the money. And this isn't an anti-Lance Stroll comment because we've no, always no, had no, no. rich-moneyed young men in there. It appears they've also got a issue in the direction of how the car works, how it's designed. And I'm sure you're Paddy Lowe coming board from, from his many years of success in Mercedes, you'd expect that not to be a problem. But the problem, and I think as we've... But yeah, I'm not going to try and claim I've got some sort of, sort of you know, mystic Meg crystal ball thing. The thing is, right, if everything's going fine, then two young guys with no experience it's fine but when things go wrong you need people with experience and the problem is you don't in modern f1 have the chance to have testing and you need when you've got a problem like this or you can think you've simulated your way out of it where it may be um you need to have some experienced development drivers or experienced drivers who can do pound round a couple of spanish circuits for three days and work out what the heck's going wrong and try some things around it and or in many ways just to reiterate what your young guns are saying and even on that level robert could beats is not much cop to them because robert's not actually driven a, a, a hybrid f1 car in anger no, no. um so you kind of go yeah. so you know whilst i'm sure you know felipe massa sits there with the, thinking it should have been me and all that um <laughs> it, it, it they've got themselves into a into a dark hole and 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 you kind of think oh at this point you suddenly go 
unfashionable people like Dave, who uh, Paul DeResta, who are up for the drive, perhaps that may have been a better bet, you know, or, or just someone who knew what they were doing in an F1 car, who could drive, who could develop the machine, or at least just say, look, this is what it's doing wrong. A F1 car should not do this, followed by this, and then that. Exactly. And I go, oh, quick. Quick, yeah. fi- quick final point uh, before we move on. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was the last race for the first engine this year. So everybody gets but new engines. If for... you, no, no, if you, well, that, 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 there's no official last race for no. the first engine. It's just that they are on a cycle. They need to run three. What, what that race will now do is do that engine will do, do is all the practice sessions and they'll save the race engine for the race. And of course, because we're going to our first big power circuit, the second the second Lots part of, of the upgrades. season. Um, there'll be everyone will bring their new versions. So um, yes, and and obviously everyone, people say, oh well, that's fine. Renault and Honda will catch up because of course Ferrari and Mercedes are going to do nothing. No, you know. Uh, nothing. Well, uh, Mercedes uh, in the shape of Lewis Hamilton still leads, fourteen points from Vettel in seconds. Ricciardo uh, is uh, back another twenty-four points, so not really in the hunt, despite what everybody's saying. Bottas. Is another mm-hmm. what uh, four points behind in fourth position, right, and eight points behind him in fifth. That's your top five. Verstappen on thirty-five points has uh, less than half the points of his uh, teammate and a third of the points uh, of less than a third of a point of Lewis Hamilton. He will not be a factor in the championship. Says Hindoff, um, and the best of the rest. Perhaps surprisingly at this point, and only three points behind Verstappen. And this will tell you what an awful season Verstappen is, ha- is having uh, to back up what Nick was saying earlier on. Fernando Alonso, uh, despite uh, not, yeah. not, not, not scoring at the yeah. weekend, is on 32 points. And he should have had another seven or eight, shouldn't he, really? Yes, yes he should have. Uh, it's Canada next, and a set of races that will far more suit Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. Um, the championship's his, isn't it? We might as well just give him... Give him the, the trophy yeah, I now. Know. I think I think I think Ferrari went up a blind alley in Barcelona. They come back down the blind alley again. It, 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 it's going back to a more normal track, and then of course we we, we hit the meat of the European season, because of course the new the new race at Paul Ricard, and then uh, Germany's back this year in the UK. And uh, yeah, I think it, it, we'll get the summer break and we have a better idea. But I mean, just just one final thing. Yeah, Red Bull do have a car that can win certain races, and that's when if you make a mistake on the races when you're just trying to yes. pick up points, like hitting each other in Baku mm. or you know I know Danny's a great since he's sliced bread this week but after his not particularly impressive performance in Barcelona winning a world championship is a hard thing to do which it was so hard it yeah. actually destroyed Nico Rosberg and he had to retire yes. it's a hard thing to do and you need just to tick up the points the whole time the, t- the two drivers who are just ticking the points the whole time are Fettel and Hamilton and that is why one of those two will be the world champion because that's how you win a championship when, when we, we don't have an outstanding car this year we have three cars which can be outstanding at each individual event so at this point it's now about how do you knuckle down and win a championship you don't knuckle down a championship by taking a teammate off and you have to minimise your off weekends no, I don't disagree with any of that, Nick. Uh, shockingly, I do think the Mercedes is a better car at more circuits, though, and is less worse at the circuits that it's not good at, not super good at, um, which is uh, given the, the points differential from first to second to third to fourth. If, you know, unless something very untoward happens, Hamilton finishes in the top three or four championships, his, nobody's going to beat him. It's as simple as that. Uh, it I... needs a DNF. Uh, right, Nick, <laughs> thanks very much for the Formula One. We will speak to you a bit later for a, a little bit of two-wheeled action, if you don't mind. Oh, all right. 
Oh, all right. Yes, all right. Sorry, Tim, go ahead with the jingle. No, I've decided not to play the jingle. All right. You can do some tweets instead. Uh, yes. Actually, I'm... before I, uh, before you do that, has yeah. Nick gone? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, I've just dumped him and got Graham up. While, um, while you were talking to Nick about Formula One... Uh, well, I'll start with, before the show, I had some profiteroles, which Nick was obviously uh, very interested uh, yes, in. Yes. Uh, while you were talking to Nick about Formula 1, I had some more. <laughs> I've now had 20. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, right. Uh, this from Lounsey's car. How is Max different from Kvyat? He was dumped for much less Red Bull and the media uh, need to... Uh, need to stop defending him. He has talent, but he just keeps making mistakes that he never takes responsibility for. I, I find that difficult. Um, I find that difficult uh, to disagree with there, uh, if I'm honest. Max uh, is a driver that Red Bull wants him to be. It's, they've got to accept that sometimes if you ask a driver to do what they're asking Max to do, he's going to crash. Yes. Yes. Um, I... I, I don't know what else to say uh, about that. Um, uh, Should we go back to Williams? Yeah. Uh, yes. Actually, there was a bit of Williams news today, which I've just realised I forgot to mention to Nick. Uh, which is that their head of aerodynamics uh, has, uh, quote marks, left the team. This this is very interesting. This is... Um, Dirk de Beer. Dirk de Beer, South African. Uh, used to be with Sauber and Swift Ferrari. Engineering. On its IndyCar program, Renault. As well. Yeah, he's been everywhere. Now, Ed Wood, which um, is a name that won't uh, catch the eye or ear of some of our listeners. It's half of the equaliser. <laughs> Ed Wood. Wood, Wood. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, he was the chief designer at Williams, and he went just a few weeks ago. This is uh, the losing Martini at the end of the year. Um, this is. A real issue for um, for Williams because I just don't think there are um, I don't think they know where they are or where they should be. Right now, they should be in Grove, preparing to go to Canada, which is the next Formula One race right. uh, on the tenth of June, uh, and home race for Lance Stroll. Hmm. Very interesting, very interesting, uh, and we'll have to see how that goes. Did you um, mention the local driver um, to Nick? I wasn't really listening because oh, I was thanks. eating. To... Leclerc? It is him, Leclerc. Yes, he had no brakes. We did mention that. Yes, good. Okay. Uh, back to tweets. Back, back. No, that's, uh, we've taken up too much time uh, on that already. I, I would like to know... Uh, what everybody thinks uh, about about that the weekend. There's been a lot said about Monaco at the weekend. Um, uh, uh, so uh, let us know at Spec Um Big weekend of uh, sport for us this weekend uh, with uh, a couple of. Um, events for us here on the RSL network of programmes uh, and hopefully now we can say good evening to Johnny Palmer who is joining us live. He'll be part of the team that heads out to Le Mans and the Test Day this weekend. Evening Johnny. 
Good evening, John. Oh, you are there, but you're a bit quiet. I can tell He's you what this is. It's all right, don't it worry. It took a long time to talk back it's to a, us. It's a very, very long way. From uh, where you are to where he is, yes. Yes, uh, a very, very long way. Um, I, I'd quite forgotten, Johnny, when we were setting this up for tonight. This is your first time to the test here, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, never been before. So um, I don't really know what to expect, other than I assume all the same cars that we'll be racing in two weeks' time, but just... Uh, out for a test, quite it, literally. It'll be all the same cars, or nearly all the same cars. There might be some that don't test. Um, most of the drivers, they'll be driving around a bit, then they'll sit in the garage for a bit, and then they'll go out again, and then they'll stop for lunch, and then they'll drive around a bit again in the afternoon. And uh, at the end of the day, they'll come to some conclusions, but they won't share them with us. But we do at least, these days, have, uh, have timing and scoring. Uh, on on the yes. line, and we will have the walking wizard uh, as well, of course. Uh, I think you'll find Johnny that it's going to be a bit more relaxed, and that's actually quite fun. Yes, um, no, I, 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 absolutely, and it's a chance to you know see the the brand new cars in some cases, see certainly some brand new uh, liveries as well, and and some very well-known drivers from other disciplines other types of motorsport so uh you know a lot of people said that they were going to struggle i suppose to attract any interest for this year in a the world endurance championship and also b le mans although le mans is kind of always going to be le mans correct was the argument um but the fact that toyota some people have said this is their race to very much lose and considering their past record at uh, trying to win this race and they've become come desperately close as most of us will all remember um they really do have to win this year however uh, what the aco and the fia are pro- trying to provide is a, is a level playing field between the hybrid cars the toyotas and the non-hybrid lmp1s um it's still going to be pretty tough for them i mean there are 10 cars in their class in lmp1 including the two tso 50s and if everything runs well uh then you know it should be toyotas that that will sweep up but it almost adds extra pressure because they have quite an advantage heading into not only the big race but also test this weekend uh let's see if we can get graham goodwin editor daily sports car uh, on the line having one or two connection problems uh to dsc hq what we have got graham uh, and perhaps surprisingly confirmed is that dragon speed will be running the the br1 will be running a replacement chassis for the car that uh, pietro fittipaldi had that nasty accident in uh, at the spa francochamp six hours uh, absolutely, John. Good evening, everybody. Um, apologies for the uh, the the connection uh, uh, issues, uh, chaps, but uh, hopefully you can hear me fine now. No, you're perfect um, to us. Yeah, that was a bit of a clear blue sky thing. Uh, I had heard from Elton Julian that he was uh, visiting Delara and there was hopeful that some kind of solution would be in place. I do know that the team had made an approach for a potential force majeure shift to LMP2, but you have to say they appear to be convinced that, uh, well, number one, both the terms of their obtaining a brand new, uh, very recently built uh, monocoque for the BR1, the number 10 car, um, that they're uh, happy with those terms and that they're content with what they've been told for the investigation into the accident with Pietro Filippoldi. I'll say this much about that, which is I've now heard three 
completely different, totally different explanations as to what happened in that accident and what therefore caused the uh, leg fractures of Pietro Fittipaldi. That being the case, these three completely different uh, explanations, uh, all of which were repeated to me with you know, a fulsome level of confidence that this was exactly what had happened. I think the, the way to uh, play this one is to step away from what you have to th- this day say is speculation and hope that actually they've got it right. Uh, yeah. Is it a leap of faith, though, Graham? Um, well, who knows? Without actually having an accident report in front of us, um, you know, I am told the tub did not fail. Um, you know, much that we've been told in uh, in other utterances from other places, the tub did not fail, uh, which leaves you with a number of possibilities, including whether or not there was sufficient internal protection. Uh, the foam that is, uh, you know, effectively put inside the the uh, the tub to stop the driver's legs from uh, clattering around in the case of an impact. But I think a leap of faith. Frankly, John, I think the entire uh, non-hybrid grid is a leap of faith this year. Uh, this is just, a, again, another level. We do know, um, I know, I've spoken to uh, people involved in this, that we are likely to see at least a subtle change to the low downforce package for all three BR1s after the second incident, the blowover for Matevas Isakian mm. in the 17 car. SMP did have a spare chassis, so that's not an issue. That reassurance was given to, amongst others, Jensen Button when he uh, tried the... Um, the, the car routes at Manicor a week or two ago. So, you know, I, I'm hoping what we're going to see, and I'm hoping what John is going to see for the first time at test day, is a relatively drama-free mm. um, afternoon's running. It's not always been the case. We have had real dramas in the past at the test day um, of, you know, of a car damaging, driver damaging, and, you know, um, program ending nature i hope we don't get that this year there's plenty enough to be dealing with uh, and uh jp uh, palmer is back johnny palmer is back uh, on, on the line here um also what you will get to see is something that is unique to test here as far as mobile one radio and one 91.2 fm is concerned because our broadcast point is a one of the broadcast booths alongside the press room so you get to see a completely different view of the circuit not that anybody's got any view of the circuit uh, from the tv compound this year because everybody's on <laughs> ground level behind the fence um so you will actually get to see a bit of the circuit from a different area and what you will get a little hint of is the amount of noise that rattles around between those two p- tribunes because when we used to be up on the top of the aco tribune it was deafening up there and it's going to be pretty loud where you are so that's something uh, new for you to look forward to as well what else are you looking forward to jp um well it's got with your gts i suppose i've always been a lover of gts and the fact that there are 30 cars there just mm. in those two classes pro and am is uh, is frankly mouth-watering Great to have BMW and the M8s there this year. So that makes it five manufacturers in GT Pro. We've got uh, three Ferraris, as many as four Ford GTs and four Porsches. These two new Beamers, as I say, the Chevy Corvettes from the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the two brand new Aston Martins as well. I know we're not going to be racing properly come Sunday, but just to be able to see all those cars out on track together and to get a rough idea of where each one is going to be respectively to the others. You know, there have been tweaks to the balance of performance leading into test day and 
partly Sunday is so that the ACO can do further adjustment then in the intervening days between test and the race. But I just think to have all those cars out on track and then also the customer machines with the brand new, uh, well, not quite brand new Porsches, but the revolutionary Porsches with the gearbox and engine reversed. They're now customer cars, of course. So let's see how they get on. They look very strong at um, at Spa and at Paul Ricard, actually, for the opening race for the ELMS. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, 30 cars, that's, that's basically a grid in itself. Um, but they're just all the GTs. I, I can't wait. Graham, you uh, printed a, a story today on dailysportscar.com. I think it was today. It might have been yesterday. Sorry, all my days are mixed up this week. I Bank holiday weeks uh, when I've been travelling always throw me uh, out actually the wrong way. Um, about equalisation of technology, balance of performance, blah, 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 blah. Um, transparency, at least being attempted by the ACO, it brings up the question of what will we see at testing and how hard are we likely to see people trying it? It's always, it's always a bit of a nebulous question, but one that has to be asked in some respects. Well, John, despite the fact that, you know, with the technology that the uh, the powers that be uh, bring to bear on both GT balance performance and the equivalent technology in LMP1, despite the fact that we keep being told that there is no point in holding back, we can see, they can be seen, <laughs> blah, 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 it does sort of, you know, certainly, you know, it's test day has often felt like uh, there must be something around the back of the garage that looks like Churchill's war rooms and that many sandbags. I'm hoping we're <laughs> going to get to see these cars running at speed. What Johnny certainly should be looking for is uh, very quick, non-complete laps, yeah. um, because we're going to see a lot of those. I don't think we're going to see anybody going in the term real world fast no. i just don't think we're going to see that i think we're going to see it there was a there was a whole lot of new this year mm. and an awful lot of the new uh is in the hands of teams that have got a lot of work still to do that there's been some gaps in the testing schedules for many of the teams uh we've got uh, cars that have never seen that track uh they'll have to be going through things like fuel mileage runs uh certainly tire uh runs uh, who knows what we're going to get in terms of the weather at this stage, because that can chuck us a, a bit of a, a, a googly as well. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see cars going extremely quickly. We're going to see cars in close contention going very quickly. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see any records broken uh, this this week. We're going to get an opportunity to see those new cars. Mm. Uh, several of those cars we will not have seen uh, running in anger with their full low downforce kit, not least Correct. of which are the Ligier and the Delara LMP2 cars, as well as a number of the new LMP1 cars. Uh, it is exciting. It does feel like it's part of the, the, the really big build-up. I absolutely love it. It means the paddock is a bit more relaxed than we get into for the freneticism of a race week. Did want to say one thing, John. You're so right about that old, um, that old uh, Tribune. Oh, the noise. Uh, it, it, it's like nothing. Strong. This side of... This side of um, top fuel racing it's i've never experienced noise like it aside from that um it's it was an extraordinary sound you could literally scream at the person standing five inches in front of you and not be heard at all it's amazing Uh, absolutely amazing but um 
I think we're going to have plenty of news coming out of this. It, it, you uh, know that noise. The reason we had to move was because it was banned by the Geneva Convention uh, yes. as, as being Weaponized. a war crime. Yes, it yes. was a war crime. Um, th- th- just something I want to pick up. I want to talk about LMP2, which has almost become the, the forgotten category uh, recently. And I, and, I, and I think unfairly, because I think we've got a great battle. Before we do that, though, something uh, that you were, you were mentioning there um, about the new regulations and about balance of performance. Part of balance of performance is uh, the uh, fuel runs and how long we expect to see cars going at Le Mans. And part of testing in the past, Graham, and this is something that Johnny would have been watching carefully, and I know Trusses does the same thing, um, is you know people doing long race runs, uh, you know, and, and trying to get some data for fuel mileage. Now, that is far more prescriptive now. So we'll certainly not see anybody trying to eke out extra laps here because if they can do that, they, they don't want to, to point the finger and shine the spotlight on that, do they? GG? Uh, sorry, in LMP1, they're not allowed to do that, of course. Right. Uh, there is a prescriptive uh, upper limit to those laps. What the LMP1... Is that an actual be... number of laps? So let's yes. let, let's say for the for the prototypes, it's 10 laps uh, yes. for the hybrids, and it, it's nine laps for the, the private air cars or whatever. Uh, yes. So that is not an amount of fuel. That is actually nope. a number. So you have there's no benefit at all in soft-pedaling the car and saving no. fuel, other than the fact you put less fuel in the car when you come to refill it but as your pit stops are timed anyway that doesn't really matter anymore because you can do everything at the same time that's exactly correct uh, this is about uh, the equivalence of technology is designed uh, with an efficiency um, an efficiency advantage built in for the hybrid uh, technology that is the uh, equivalence of te- technology in this in this case what we can expect to see though know, john is that the uh, the non-hybrid cars are going to be considerably faster in a straight line, yes. without a shadow of a doubt. Now, quite how close they can get to a Toyota to utilise that, well, uh, that remains to be seen. We did see, didn't we, in the very, very early stage of the Spa race, Andre Lotro and a bit of a nibble, um, you know, albeit unsuccessfully, and I think probably just a, just a little bit of mischief from Andre there. But uh, I think during the race, we are going to see LMP1 non-hybrid cars blow, uh, blowing by Toyotas at various points in the race. Let's wait and see how this one pans out. Uh, my view on this one, I'm thoroughly bored with equivalence of technology. Mm. I want to go racing. Mm. Um, I hope that they've got the numbers reasonably uh, okay. I fear they may not be, is the honest answer. Um, but I'd say this to the thousands of fans of real racing out there. If it does get to the stage where you've got two Toyotas just blasting off into the distance, mm. cheer on the race for the podium position. Well. Because I think what you're going to find behind it are two races in LMP1 non-hybrid. The cars that feel they can produce pace over full stints and for the full race. Uh, but also those that know that they can't match that pace over a full race distance and are going to go for a reliability run to try to get a finish, which for some of the LMP1 cars is going to be as good as a win. Yeah, and uh, in terms of what's going on behind, we'll come back to that LMP2 battle uh, in in a moment, but um, in some respects then, 
Johnny, what uh, Graham was talking about there takes a, a little bit out of of the interest at, at the the front of the field, but there's still plenty, uh, still plenty to look at. Uh, always is uh, at Le Mans, and the uh, I'm I'm really interested uh, this weekend as well, just to see how fast those prototypes will be going. And we will get things like uh, trap speeds uh, uh, and things like that to to look at. So I, I mean, you don't. I'll tell you now, you don't have cameras, by the way, so you'll be on. Um, Close circuit TV cameras to look at, so it's it's going back to your roots in uh, in circuit commentary. Um, no, that's fine. You're happy with I that? I can live with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Happy with that. Um, Graham just talking there about the um, uh, about the front of the field. Um, one of the things that you and I and Graham all had to deal with when the when the previous set of hybrid regulations came out was saying, how are we going to talk about the different mega jewels, how we're going to talk about the different um, hybrid systems and, and, and storage systems, how we're we going to talk about the different performance levels of the cars, because they were so very, very different. The irony was that the technical regulations were written so well um, by the ACO and the FIAWEC that we never had to talk about that because the racing was door mirror to door mirror. The irony of this is that they've basically junked technical regulations and done everything on BOP and feel the need to uh, prescribe everything. I I kind of wish and I'd like to hear what you think about this, JP, um, I kind of wish they'd go back to proper technical regulations. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, part of it is that they've been forced into this position, I suppose, with certain manufacturers deciding that uh, Le Mans and the World Endurance Championship isn't for them at the moment. They've gone to what they see is uh, more appropriate technology, I suppose, and more affordable ways of of going racing so there's a little bit of just being painted into a corner i suppose without being in the meetings where they write these rules i don't know what systems and what Mm. options they've turned down i suppose (laughs) look at what you could have won (laughs) or indeed whether this was the only thing on the table um you know you're left with two toyotas which you desperately want to hold on to and it took them long enough to actually confirm that toyota would do the full super season as it's coined transitional season they didn't want toyota just to turn up for le mans 2018 and le mans 2019 and they've managed to commit you know that team to the to all the races great but then the problem is there's no other hybrids to race against those cars so then you yeah. have to say right you either peg the hybrids back or you give the non-hybrids a bit of a boost um you don't want to you don't want to knock back people like Janetta who are keen to get involved. Rebellion have always wanted to be an LMP1 team. They had a spell in LMP2 but weren't happy there. They want to win Le Mans outright. Um, so it's about accommodating these very different types of cars. You know, we talk about apples and oranges, and and now we are really talking about tennis rackets and and various other things too. And and. and when you've got no, things that light, don't Johnny. naturally... <laughs> so, sorry, Tim, say they again. stop for bad light, is what he said. We're on the yes. Duckworth Lewis method on uh, on that one. I, yeah, I, I don't uh, disagree again. You can't balance performance with cars that are powered by very different techniques and the things that, you know, you've got... Different a, philosophies. A, a hybrid powering the other ranks. Exactly. It's so a different philosophy. It's, why... it's, it's a different customer group. Um, I, I think the ACO have done a cracking job with the private air formula, by the way, and I hope that doesn't get kicked into touch when the new regs come in. Um, LMP2, I mentioned it earlier on, and, and we've almost forgotten it again here. Almost the forgotten formula, but 20 cars, Graham, 
including um, the joke has been played on the Phil Rouge for uh, Delara. Look it up, kids. Uh, for Delara and Legier, and um, you know. This we look past this at our peril as far as close racing is concerned because spookily, there is a almost spec formula that has actually given us some decent racing over the last few years and you know the Joker packs shouldn't make that much difference it should just bring the other cars up to the up to the sharp end of the field. As we forget, almost gave us a race winner. Well, um, in extraordinary circumstances. Um, it's fewer cars this year by dint of the fact ACO has split the again split the grid 50-50 GTs and LMPs 30 and 30 uh, 20 uh, cars against 25 from last year good mix across across three of the four available chassis uh, there now being no active um, Multimatic Riley uh, Mark 30 but um, also a more credible tyre battle I think that could be very interesting yeah. Michelin very strong indeed on single lap pace have been perhaps a little less convincing than they possibly expected against the Dunlops in full stint pace um, but the quality in depth John is is magnificent I think it's eight ex-Formula 1 drivers including the likes of Juan Pablo Montoya uh, Pastor Maldonado who I think you know the, uh, the pick uh, crews for RadioLeMond.com are going to have great fun with Pasta. He is a, an excellent individual to talk to in the paddock. Uh, some really, really good teams, some stories kicking around. And I think we've got really three sorts of crews here. We've got the ones that really could win this on pace. And for me, that's around half the field. Yeah. You've got the ones at the other end, which are effectively uh, gentlemen crews that are running for a finish and you've got those in the middle that if things go well for their less quick drivers they could pull off a bit of a surprise the interesting part for me uh, for test day and one for johnny absolutely to look at is exactly what kind of pace uh, we see relative to each other those three chassis uh, actually come up with what we saw last time uh, were Orica pulling out the much the better lap times uh, the fastest in a straight line by a distance was Delara mm. but unfortunately as uh, I think pretty dramatically uh, relayed to the pit lane reporters by Rimmers Barrichello was a bit scary in the corners <laughs> and to be blunt Ligier was nowhere yeah. uh, now in high downforce configuration we've seen uh, actually the Ligier taking a bit of a step forward particularly when pedalled by the likes of Felipe Albuquerque um, the the uh, Delara, I don't think, have done a particularly good job of their joker in high downforce configuration. Still has the awful porpoising. Let's wait and see what they've done in terms of the low downforce package. But, you know, for me, every reason to expect that when we get to uh, race week, uh, that we could see a massive battle for pole position here. There are some stellar drivers involved here in a number uh, in perhaps not that fashionable team teams uh, the likes of will stevens in, pa- uh, in the panis bartes uh, crew the likes of paul loop chatan with edex sports it's going to be uh, i think a stellar qualifying battle the race could be a bit special uh this from dave alcock he says uh, we need to get back to defined tech regs in p1 that are easier to explain to fans and give a fixed level playing field for all what's wrong with controlling power with fuel allocation uh, let's have your thoughts to at specutainment last word on the test to johnny who's going for the first time at the weekend and you are going in the fiat ducato the 
mighty Fiat Ducato with uh, brilliant Bob Dawson and <laughs> Joe Bradley. Uh, that must be the highlight of your weekend, surely? I think it is. I, I, frankly, you know, I, I, you think test day is going to be exciting. Well, I've got to survive the, the van journey down there, first of all. I only hope they have a clue where they're going. I mean, they have been there a number of times before, I know. But uh, Sharing a cabin to... with Bradley, so do not let him eat uh, hard-boiled eggs before you go to sleep, really. Well, there is that as well. And I don't, I'm not sure they know their way from Caen. Do they? Because we're going there instead of Calais. So, uh, well, Bob Dawson's only be... done it for the last five years. Yeah, that's true. It promises to be uh, unforgettable. <laughs> I had uh, an unforgettable night in Con once. Let's move on from that and remind everybody that this weekend, the only place that you can hear uh, live coverage from Test Day is on RS1 on Sunday. It's Mobile One, Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM around the circuit and around the world on the Radio Show Limited player. Johnny Palmer heads up the two four-hour sessions and in between, on our lunch break, uh, an exclusive chat, uh, which we did a couple of weekends ago now, with Guy Smith uh, on the uh, on his uh, announcement of his retirement. It's a special Tyler's Long one with Guy Smith in the lunch break. So fully nine hours of broadcasting with a Le Mans flavour, all kicking off 8 o'clock UK time on RS1 on Sunday. Graham and uh, Johnny, thank you very much indeed. Tim... Uh, what do you have for us before we move on? Uh, well, Graham mentioned uh, Pastor Maldonado. Yep. And uh, his uh, young nephew, uh, Manuel, got another yep. race win at Snetterton at the weekend in okay. the British Formula 3 Championship. Uh, the other races were won by Linus Lundqvist and uh, Nicola Kiergaard, uh, which I always struggle to say, but Johnny can do that better. Uh, we had a British winner in Monaco. Uh, in F2? No. Ah. Uh. In the Mobilines Porsche Super Cup. Oh, really? Who? Nick Yellily. Oh, really? Good for Nick. He's been knocking on the door for a little while. And I think that's his first win in the Porsche Super Cup. Uh, yes, I agree. I agree. As I say, he's been knocking on the door for a little while. So I've had a couple of podium finishes, I think. And he did pretty well when he was guesting in the Middle East... Carrera Cup uh, as well in a few races that was last winter season uh, but I think you're right that is his first win in the uh, Super Cup, in the Super Cup. Uh, Formula 2 you mentioned uh, those races won by Artem Markelov the feature race that was a very strange race because um, obviously Markelov is a deserving winner but uh, Sean Galeel should have won that race and didn't because he didn't seem to understand the pit stop strategy that his team put him on. Ah. Uh, Antonio Fuoco won the sprint race. I with watched. The first uh, on yeah, Sunday. he was pretty strong in that. Uh, I watched the sprint race. Didn't see the one on Sunday. Lando Norris. Can I mention Lando Norris? You, you can. Said, He's driving for a championship. You said the other. Uh, well, before we started the Formula Two season, mm-hmm. that uh, was anyone going to uh, beat him? Um, and. He didn't have the greatest uh, weekend because he was sent to the back of the grid mm-hmm. uh, for the feature race. And came, then... He came, he came second, though, in the in the, the short race, didn't third. he? Third. Third. Yeah, I knew he was second. Delatraz was second. Yeah. Uh, not only uh, was he sent to the back of the grid, he was then given a uh, time penalty. Yeah. And still managed to finish sixth. Hmm. I still think he's driving for a championship. Yes. Um, Right, uh, we are now very late uh, for this. 
Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? Uh, nice summer pudding tonight. Uh, it would have been if I'd remembered to bring it uh, back home, but I didn't. I left it around with Dad's, and I've got a feeling he's not going to eat it. Evening, Father. Uh, in the second bit of tonight's programme, we'll be continuing our features as we... Exclusive features as we look forward towards the Pikes, Pikes Peak International Hill Climb uh, in July, end of June, early July. We'll be there uh, for that with Bentley and Mobile One. Uh, more on that later in this hour. Uh, we're talking bikes with Nick in a wee while and we'll have Shea on a very, very big weekend of American motorsport. All in the second hour of Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode number 21. It's live from the UK on the RSL network of channels. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Let's move on to two wheels now and welcome Nick Damon back to the show. Hello, Nick. Hello again, everybody. Hello, Tim again. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mortal Superbike World Championship for the Prosocco Dock UK round at Donington Park. I feel like it's all getting a bit of a cliche now, how the British love Prosecco. They're even sponsoring our World Superbike yeah, round. It's fantastic. Uh, everybody loves a bit of fizzy. Uh, certainly, and certainly Diana Binks does. About, uh, just the weekend. Just... Uh, uh, just over four kilometres around, we were using the Melbourne Loop. It was a fabulous bank holiday weekend. Big crowds at Donington Park. Lovely weather. It's our home round. The British riders have been dominating the world mm-hmm. super bikes. So it was an yep. easy, easy double win for a British rider. Absolutely, of course it was. You know, normally there's in over the course of two weekends, there are two races in the weekend. There are six places up for grab. For, for British drivers and occasionally we let Johnny Foreigner get one perhaps third place uh, but oh hang on wait a minute uh, no uh, both races won by a Dutchman yeah double Dutch and, at Donington Park um, a Turkish rider in second uh, for race two so I don't know what's happening here but suddenly the one place where the Brits can't win is Britain uh, Van der Mark uh, Michael Van der Mark on the part of Yamaha uh, the works team won the first one by just over a second from guess who uh, poor old Johnny Rear. I got very confused. Uh, Tom Sykes in third, the second of the uh, works Kawasaki's there. Uh, all good. All within sort of three seconds of each other. Uh, and Alex Law, Salvadori, uh, Eugene Laverty uh, on the Milwaukee Aprilia. So the two Aprilas, fifth and sixth. I got very confused. Very confused indeed. Um, at the start of the second race that I was watching on catch-up, having not seen the results, either of the results actually, when I saw, uh, scrolling across the bottom of the team, electrical fault, rear starts from the back of the grid, REA, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is ah. going to be worth watching, oh, hang on a minute, it was Gino Rear that was starting at the back. But it was also Bradley Ray, R-A-Y, in the, in, in the uh, race as well. Yes, so but a, Gino Rea... Ray of Sunshine and Ray of Mike. Yes, uh, Gino Rea and Johnny Rea are actually spelled exactly the same way, so I was very, very confused uh, about that. Um, congratulations to Michael van der Mark. First uh, win for him, and I, I think, if I'm uh, right in saying, first win for a, a Dutch rider uh, in... First win for Yamaha since 2011. Really? Mm-hmm. 
Oh my goodness me. That, I'm pretty that certain. A... First podium for a Turkish rider whose name I'm still not going to try and pronounce. No, that that uh. is correct. Second race, uh, Johnny Ray uh, having to come up from the sort of semi-reverse grid. Did pretty well. Wore his tyre out. Back tyre was uh, how he got that result. I've got no clue. Uh, best uh, Kawasaki wasn't Johnny Ray. It was top rack Razgatliogu. Good, well done. Yeah, uh, and Ma- Van der Mark made it a delightful Dutch double. Um, yeah, it's in- the interesting thing is, obviously, we've been expecting uh, a much more consistent uh, attack from Yamaha since some of the changes over the course of mm. the um, winter. I mean, they were very strong in Assen and then contrived to not really get the results. Wanted to do certainly Alex Lowe. So Alex Lowe's put the thing on pole uh, over the weekend, and I think got a fourth. Not quite sure he got. Was he getting the second round? Thanks, uh, Alex. Uh, Alex Laws, I think, went no, down, didn't he? Months. He got a double fourth. He got, oh, did he? No, he got, no, he got two fourths. Um, oh, so he so did, didn't yes, quite sorry. where he wanted to go in the race. Vandermark did a bit better today, tyre management, and won them both. So we now kind of see that, that there are tracks where Yamaha are going to cause problems, as there are tracks where the crash is going to be a problem. The issue for the other riders is there isn't a single track where a, a Kawasaki isn't going to cause them problems. Mm. Um, and again, going back to what I said some time ago in the Formula 1 bit, um, you win championships by scoring points at the races you're not good at. Yeah, uh, and Michael van der Mark hauls himself up into equal third position on the same 163-point tally as Tom Sykes. He's on the Kawasaki, of course, with van der Mark on the... Uh, on the Yamaha, Charles Davies still in second place on 181 points. So he's got the better part of 20 points on the two guys behind him. But on 245 points, Jonathan Ray could literally go on holiday for two months and still <laughs> come and come back, not not compete in a race and come back and still be in the lead of the championship. Well, yeah, that is the way it is because he's just picking up points the whole time. He didn't win either race, which is a bit of a surprise for all of us. Um, but he ended up, you know, he ended up with the probably the second greatest haul of points after Marco van der Mark, but Marco van der Mark ha- hasn't got anywhere near all the previous events. So unless we have, you know, three rounds back to back which are like this, it's not going to change anything. Um, you know, it's about picking up the points as you go. Uh, Razgatlioglu uh, in eighth position, top rack, the Turkish dry, uh, rider in the championship on the independent Kawasaki. That was a great victory for him. About halfway through that second race, I, I think it dawned on him that he, he had grip, that he had tyres underneath him, and he started pulling off some pretty audacious manoeuvres, had a really good scrap with Laws for a while, and then cleared him and uh, made the jump across to the leading group and it, it just looked good mm-hmm. and that'll do him uh, really, uh, that'll do him mentally no harm at all. His mentor of course is Keenan Sofoglu who um, now has he properly retired now Sofoglu? I think he has hasn't he? He's hurt himself yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah um, but you know I was impressed with Top Rags. I thought he, 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 he rode well. Um, my disappointment of this season has been Marco Melandri on the Ducati Sitting in fifth well, in the championship. He won the first race, didn't he? Yeah. And then what? Well, I think I, I don't want to um, you know, say that I told you so, but I think that's exactly what I said in the, uh, when you we did. reviewed the first round. You did. You know, he doesn't, he's not going to put it together the whole year. Um, you know, I think yeah, he's, he's a, a more mature rider. I think he doesn't quite have the desire, I think, to do it week in, week out. It's a very different... So big, 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 big gaps uh, in the superbikes. And I should have... Uh, ask you next where they where are the next 
Do you know? Oh, you shouldn't have asked me that because that involves me not uh, of knowing something. I haven't actually got the um, the right. Uh, they're they're, check, they're at Brunel. They're at the oh, well, uh, the track. round seven. The Acerbis. Uh, In Chip between Brunel. Test and Le Mans, they're at, they're at ah, okay. So that means we've got something to watch while we're setting up. That's great. It was a different uh, story as far as the uh, super sports. I do like super sport racing, and I think Donington suits it very well. I, I'd still wish they wouldn't use the Melbourne Loop. I wish they'd run the yeah, short circuit. I agree. I don't, I, I doesn't, it, they need it for the lap length, I think. And ah, really? They, they, yeah, they, I think it's something about it. Be, uh, I, well, I think they need it for the lap length for um, certain particular sanctioned events. I'm not sure they need it for World Superbikes, but then for World Superbikes, they need it for the, for the, the spectator area viewing, so they stick it really? in. Really? Is that what it mm. is? Yeah, that's the reason the Melbourne Loop's there, is it makes the track long enough for certain events. The standard track is a little bit tad short. I, I, see, I love ra- even racing cars on um, on the national. Oh, yeah. It's called the national circuit, and it hasn't been at all ruined by the change in the um, uh, in the circuit because they, they brought the chicane a bit further back, uh, mm. didn't they? Uh, which um, a lot of people thought would would ruin it and it, it didn't at all uh, Super Sport uh, after the weekend uh, did, did you see any of the Super Sports it was good no 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 sorry I didn't I was I was, I was doing this job for a company called RSL in Italy oh really yeah so, uh, okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Super Sport race uh, was uh, won by let me oh, what have I done where's my results got Better get that back up again now. World, World Man Super Sport. the computer live on air. Yeah. Uh, Sandro Cortese from Gilles Cluzel, from De Rosa and Krumenacker, Hop Suisse, uh, in fourth position, top five, separated by five seconds, uh, with uh, Kurikasulo uh, on sixth position on the uh, other Yamaha, uh, with his teammate in front of him. Um, so, Yamaha, Yamaha. Augusta, MV Augusta, Yamaha, 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 uh, which is pretty much how it is in the championship. And it's all tied up very nicely. Krumenak holds on to his championship lead for Yamaha, again, Hop Suisse, by just two points, though, from uh, Lucas Mahias and Sandro Cortesi on 77, 75. So it's two points between the whole of the top four. The Frenchman Gilles Clouzel in fourth position, then Federico Caracazulo uh, and Rafael de Rosa is back on 51 points. So it's 69 in fifth, then 75, 77, 79, and 81. And as ever, Supersport uh, put on a great show in the sunshine. I, I, I know I say this pretty much every year, but Donington is a great track for bikes, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it has been since you know the Grand Prix first went back there. Oh, 1980 something, 89, 90. They, they, they reopened it really in the first thing they got was a bike Grand Prix mm-hmm. uh, way back with, uh, with Tom Wheatcroft. No, it's great. It's, it really is a great bike circuit. It's a much better bike circuit than cars, though, because it is a bit narrow. Um, so, yeah, it tends to it tends to flatter the bikes and, and stifle the cars in some ways. I, I don't know if this is deliberate, but they, they do seem to have slightly different camera points for bikes than cars. And the the sort of tails they use the tails away shot a bit more, and seeing the back ends of World Superbikes scrambling for grip at some of the fastest parts of the circuit, not the slow parts where they're accelerating out the corners, but where they're drifting through. So McLean's and Coppice, and then coming down at the start of the lap, coming down through Hollywood and through the Crane of Curves is absolutely outstanding. And for 
us mere mortals who actually do ride motorcycles on the road and sometimes you do track days, you look at that and it's at that point that you do say, I could never do that, isn't it? Yeah, you kind of go, well, he's just showing off really, isn't it, to be honest? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Czech Republic, Bruno. I mean, it's Kawasaki circuit because everything's a Kawasaki circuit if we go back to World Superbikes. But really, you know, Johnny Ray now, he's just got to not fall off and hurt himself. Yeah, I mean, he's managed to, to meld himself in this good position after a slightly slow start. And it's again, you know, not wishing to be... Mr. Nick does the same thing for the whole episode. It's about He's all about winning a championship. He does yeah. win races when he can win races but he also sticks a thing on the podium when he can't. That's Nick Damon talking bikes. Uh, thank you, Nick. We'll speak to you again on next week's Midweek Motorsport. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, Tim. Goodbye, Nick. <laughs> Goodbye. It's like an episode of the Waltons here. Uh, it's Midweek Motorsport, Series 13, Episode 21, 20 past nine. Good evening. Uh, no football results tonight, Tim, so how can we tell everybody we're live? We do some cricket results. I'm don't, sorry. don't talk to me I've got my mouth full uh, well no that's very cricket that, that's very cricket isn't it uh, ok I'll let you find some cricket results um, uh, IPL's finished now so we can't do that yes but there is um, oh that one's finished uh, that one's finished uh, hang on has anyone I don't think anybody's played Northamptonshire was abandoned with a toss really yes why it's been all right today. It's been overcast, but it, it well, they rains. were playing in Coventry, sorry, Edgebaston. Um close to Coventry. Congratulations to Coventry. Neil Wooding would be delighted, by the way. He was delighted. First um, promotion for all them in of 51, tonight's yes. day-night cricket has gone. Appears to have finished or been abandoned. Hmm. Which is great news for our next guest from Fort Lauderdale. In Florida, Shea Adam, <laughs> because, because she what she knows about cricket, you could write on the back of a postage stamp and still have uh, room for the Lord's Prayer. Here we go. Football. <laughs> Football, hang on. Uh, it's currently 1-0. Excellent. Uh, 74th minute. Who's that? That's Austria versus Russia. In a friendly. In a friendly. Right, OK. Well done, Tim. You found that very well. Uh, good evening or good afternoon as it is to you, Shea. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Thank you for sparing me having to parrot cricket scores for once. <laughs> yes. Uh, for those that don't know, Shea often has uh, been the uh, messenger backwards and forwards between Stephen Simpson, a, an American citizen now, an American passport holder, an American citizen. However, very much a South African when he follows his cricket and has just been repeating things um, with no knowledge whatsoever to him before starting interviews, which has been very funny to hear on the talkback. Um, a busy weekend of sport, I think it's fair to say, of motorsport <laughs> in the uh, US. Um, let's quickly run... Th- shall we do, you, shall do, we do you what's happened tell first? tell you where we're going to start? Oh, well, go on then. I've got... Uh, yeah, go on. Uh, we're going to start with someone who has set a new record. Uh, oh, Kyle Bush. Kyle Bush. Kyle Bush. Yeah. I know why. Why, John? Because he's now won in NASCAR Cup Series at Bristol, Richmond, Fontana, New Hampshire, Sonoma, Watkins Glen, Kentucky, Atlanta, Dover, Texas, Indianapolis, Martinville, Chicago, Darlington, Daytona, Las Vegas, Talladega, Homestead, Pocono, Phoenix, Michigan, Kansas, Michigan, sorry, Kansas, and Charlotte, uh, which means, Shea... 
He's won at every single track that they go to, and yeah. he's the first driver to do that. That's, that is an extraordinary statistic. Um, and he did it in some style as well, didn't he? 377 laps led of a 400-lap race and all well, three stage victories. Four. Four stage victories, which is the crazy thing because there's one race a year where they have four stages, and it is the Coke 600. He led all three stages before the fourth one commenced. They broke it up in 100 lap segments, and he dominated, drove away, clearly wanted that win more than just about anything that we could possibly imagine, and chapeau to Kyle Busch Mm. because that is an insane accomplishment. I, I, it's an extraordinary thing to do when you look at the the talent that is uh, in that series and some people yeah. who've been in there for a very long time. All right, we know there's a changing of the guard happening now, uh, particularly in the in the Cup series of NASCAR. But I'm I'm impressed, and as you say, doing it in style. Uh, that the highlights I, I voiced the the highlights of that for Mobile One the Grid uh, on. Monday night, I think it was, and it—I mean, it was an, a relatively easy piece to write because it was all yeah. about one man. Yeah. So who's leading? Kyle Busch still leading. Kyle Busch still leading. Kyle Busch. Oh, and he won. Yeah. It was. A, it was a really impressive race. Sort of a dull race, honestly. All in all, I watched it the next day on about double speed. Um, <laughs> but it was one of those. I things. love fast forward. Oh, it's brilliant. Just skipping the commercials alone was great enough. Um, but it, it, nobody else came to play. Nobody was even in the same ballpark. It was Kyle Busch's race. Kevin Harvick hit the wall fairly early on. Jimmy Johnson hit the wall as well? No, yeah, Jimmy he, had a he did spin. Finish. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy had a spin fairly early on where he did not get collected by the field, which that was an extraordinary moment. Um, it, it just it wasn't anyone's race but Kyle Busch. John, you mentioned um, this... Uh, new breed of young NASCAR drivers. They were nowhere. Nowhere. Carl Busch was no. obviously the winner. Second, Martin Truex Jr., in it for years. Third, Denny Hamlin. Fourth, Brad Keselowski. Fifth, Jimmy Johnson. Sixth, Jamie McMurray. The, these are veterans. In fairness, Ryan Blaney did blow up spectacularly. Um, a giant comet that could be seen from Mars, I'm pretty sure, streaking across the Charlotte Speedway. But you're right. It just was the old guard that really the the cream of the crop. It rose. The the official results from NASCAR has uh, 35 drivers um, finishing um, the race or running at the end of the race, um, and then it says 36th Ryan Blaney engine. Yeah, that's uh, that was quite a sight even on that was something that i actually took off of fast forward just to watch in real time his engine blew he pulled it down to the apron got out of the car fire extinguishant and it was still just burning it was quite spectacular and glad that he's okay it's going to be a lot of work for the penske crew though and as one of the commentators said uh 112 car got to victory lane for roger penske on sunday and one certainly (laughs) did not yes yes absolutely uh let's move on can uh, I ask you another question then? Oh, go on. I might need to pause and sneeze here for a moment. Hang okay, on. hang on. Do do just dim your mic for a second. Uh, okay. What do the following drivers have in common? Right. Al Unza. Yeah. Jacques Lazier. 
Stephen Wilson. I know. Gaston Chevrolet. And I want I you've know. got to be really specific here, Shay, so go on. Both they and their brother have yes. led the Indy 500. Correct. I need one more word. Uh... And haven't won the race? No. No. Um... Mm. So I don't know. I don't know the other word. They've all had an older brother older who brother. had previously older. led yeah, this good, Indy good, 500. Good, good. Very good. Very ah. good. Which takes us on to uh, the second least interesting race of the weekend. If Monaco was the uh, least interesting, I, I have to say, I did not find... that There was bits of the... I watched it all. I watched every single lap of the Indy 500. Johnny Palmer was here, actually, called in on his way back from Italy to watch it. And we... we barbecued some we grilled some uh, burgers and some sausages and made some bits and pieces and sat and watched it and we you know and I enjoyed it ish but the new cars clearly don't like running closely together despite the fact that they are supposed to be less aero dependent and maybe that's why um, a lot of bizarre accidents one car accidents um, we lost what, Bordier, Daniger, Elio, Canaan, uh, Ed Jones, they all went basically on their own. I mean, it was an extraordinary race. Ending, interesting, a uh, little bit of strategy playing out, but, I mean, overall, Shea, did it, did it grab your attention? Eh. Yeah. It, it, helped, it helped my attention <laughs> what, what, at the time. Yeah. Um, but will I think back on it as one of the greats? Absolutely not. No. Uh, will I remember specific moments from it as thinking, wow, that's great racing? No, probably not. Um, I'm thrilled for Mr. Penske that the captain got his 17th win, which still boggles the mind. Mm. Um, Next year is his 50th attempt at the race, by the way, so that'll be something notable as well. But the best part of the race for me, and not to take anything away from the racing, Kelly Clarkson singing the anthem. She was really good. Yeah, she went slightly flat right at the end, but I liked it. I loved the B2 going across uh, as as well. Unfortunately, the international feed cut away just as they got onto the the B2, so we missed missed that. Listen, it's it's a huge event. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm you know it's the same as Monaco. I, Monaco left me nonplussed as Nick and I were talking about earlier on. Um, IndyCar and the Indy 500, the 102nd Indy, Indy 500, did not exactly um, leave me thinking. Ah, well, I wish that was still going on. You know, it yeah. finished, and that was it. That was great. I I didn't watch an awful lot of the post race show. In fact, no, I switched over and watched the the highlights of the World Superbike. Um, that's <laughs> that's how little it grabbed grabbed me. Um, yeah. At the end, oh, I mean, what Steph Steph Wilson was what four laps away, oh, ten gosh. ten miles away from winning the race, and they brought him in. He's not in the championship. He's not in the championship hunt. Leave him out there. Covered cough and splutter. Really? But it's it's ten miles. Four laps is ten miles. You're not gonna coast for ten miles. So <laughs> he had to have been that close. And the same thing goes for Jack Harvey with the MSR effort, uh, the pink car that was running at third at the time of the restart. It was one of those things that you felt like when Will Power made the pass on Scott Dixon, 
well before the last caution. Mm. That was the move of the race because that was for the win. Ed Carpenter again is the bridesmaid. Again, pole position. Again, a car that looked dominant, particularly in clear air. When he was at the front of the field, no one could get anywhere near him. Uh, early on after the restarts, even, I think it was TK got past him, didn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, early on. Uh, and he passed him straight back. I, I mean... <sighs> I don't know what to say about Ed Carpenter. They can clearly put a good car together, although Danikas didn't seem to be to her liking. But Ed himself is an absolute maestro on the two and a half miles of uh, of Indianapolis. And, and once again, having had a really good shot at it, he's come up empty. Well, this was his best finish ever at the Indy 500, though. His previous best finish was fifth. So it was an improvement. He walks away with nearly a million-dollar check from the banquet. Mm. But just because you get that poll doesn't mean you're going to get the win. The last guy to do it was Elio. Well, we said that on last week's show, of course. Uh, Johnny Palmer and I were speechless watching some of the moves uh, from uh, Alexander Rossi. Came from the final row up to fourth position. The the outside passes um, at all stages he, he was he was the first person to get the outside groove working and then as everybody else thought oh that's a good idea he started diving down the inside it looked like a video game at times <laughs> uh i mean i loved it but I'm not, i haven't seen too much after it because i've been too busy i mean were some of the drivers um a little bit sort of eyebrow raised about some of the risks that went on or is that all fair game at indy uh, it's it's Pretty much fair game, but I did see a lot of uh, Twitterage about concern of safety. Clearly, those cars were not the best handling. They weren't glued down to the racetrack as some drivers were driving them. A perfect example would be Bourdais losing it all on his own, TK losing it all. Like guys that don't make mistakes, uh, losing their cars completely solo and not collecting anyone. Elio, another good example. But when Rossi was going around the outside of people, there was one restart where he went three wide into mm. turn one. You that was the think... one where Johnny and I just looked at each other and we were slack-jawed at that. In fact, Johnny actually stopped eating his burger at that point. What? Johnny stopped eating? Yeah, there you go. You realise how significant that was. No, it's, it's true. But you, you've got to think about it for a moment and consider the safety risk, I guess, that was taken in making those passes. But as you said, it's the Indy 500. You go for it. Um, Robert Wiggins, Rookie of the Year in terms of his finish, uh, saw a little bit of redemption for Schmidt-Peterson uh, Motorsport. Um, not talking, I'm, I'm deliberately not talking um, about what happened at the early part of uh, Indie Week because yep. nobody's told the true full story yet, and I mean nobody. Um, yep. So I'm, I'm leaving that to one side. If we get the opportunity to to bring the full story to air, then we will. Then we will. Um, however, nobody, and I mean nobody has got the full story yet. They are missing a very, very important component um, about uh, about that story, um, which I'm surprised no one else has stumbled over at the moment because it's common knowledge in the IndyCar paddock. But anyway, let's leave that. So well done to Robert Wiggins uh, and the Rookie of the Year. Um, in terms, I mean, we said last week before the race, I said, listen, can anybody stop the Penske powerhouse? They couldn't, <laughs> but it was, in fairness, Penske didn't dominate the race in the, th- the way I thought they might. 
They didn't need to, though. You only need to lead one lap, and that's the last one. <laughs> there you go. There and you go. Uh, nobody knows that better than Roger. Yes, the old war horse continues. So, uh, large points haul for the people at the front of the field. So, as we go into the Belle Isle double, which is next weekend, uh, Shane and I will be there for IMSA, of which more in a moment. We have uh, Willpower leading from Alex Rossi second, Joseph Newgarten third place in a good spot to defend his championship. He had a quiet Indy 500, but picked up points. Dixie, uh, see above comment. Uh, Ryan Hunter Ray <laughs> next, then Graham Rahl, Graham Rahal, who Graham I thought Rahl. actually did a pretty good job for a, for a Honda powered driver. Then Wiggins, then Bordier, then Paginot, and then Hinchcliffe, uh, having not scored. Uh, it's two races at Belle Isle. Typically, the first one is a little conservative, and then everything goes bonkers in the second one. And it should be pretty entertaining because in years past, we've seen Penske sweep the weekend with two different drivers. We've seen Graham Rahl come in and win both races. Is it going to be one driver who figures it out and collects close to 100 points next weekend? Is it going to be one team that nails it and maybe splits the victories between their drivers? It's a Penske track. Keep in mind, this is a Penske event. Mm. You've got to think that uh, coming off of not only the Indy Grand Prix win and the Indy 500 win, Will Power is going to be somebody who's tough to reckon with. But there are a lot of drivers out there looking for a bit of redemption after what we saw last Sunday. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, our second live event of the week, actually it's our first live week uh, event of the, yeah. the weekend because on Friday, Saturday, all of the... Uh, sessions for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. It's uh, it's another 100-minute race, isn't it? We're now around 40 uh, for the race on Saturday, practice uh, on Friday, practice and qualifying on Friday. Uh, lots of rain in the forecast. That might make things a little bit interesting. It's an unforgiving track. It's not your typical street track, Belle. I would mention this. It's a lovely place to go. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm driving down from Chicago to get there um, because try try flying in and out of, of Detroit from the UK. There's only one airline that flies there and um, quite often they don't even leave the airport. Did you get yeah, that? Did yes. you did that? Copy. Yeah. Copy that. Um, so what what are we going to say? First of all, you picked something out from the pit assignments that hasn't officially or hadn't at the time been officially uh, announced. And, and we still haven't got, I don't think, an official comment from the team. But um, I think we can say this now, can't we? Well, it is out on Twitter now. So, oh, yes, okay. it is official. I found it a little bit suspicious that when the entry list came out on the 23rd of May, so one week ago today, normally the pit assignment is posted at the same time. The pit assignment was not put up until Monday. And can I just say, my OCD is so happy, John, because for the first time I can ever remember, we don't have duplicate cars in class that aren't teammates. So it goes prototype GTD, prototype GTD, all the way oh. down. So I'm, I'm a very happy camper with that. Um, but yes, we have a car that was listed on the pit assignment that was not on the entry list. And that is the number 86, the MSR Acura that currently sits second in the championship. Driver lineup is a little bit surprising. Are you ready for this, John? It's not what you're expecting. Okay. It's Catherine Legg. Yes, and, I'm expecting that. And Super Mario. Oh. Mario Farbacher has been brought in to co-pilot the 86. Both of those drivers have won at Detroit before, Catherine doing it last year, 
uh, Mario doing it, I think it was back in 2015, they are one of four cars on the entry list that both drivers have won at Detroit. So a bit of an advantage there. They've got to be a, a dark horse pick to come out for a very good result this weekend. Um, but it is going to be one of those things that's quite interesting. Why that card was kept so far up the sleeve for such a long time, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but there are a couple of interesting driver lineups we're going to be seeing this weekend, that one aside. Um, a, a race that uh, is a little odd because, of course, we lose the uh, GT Le Mans cars for obvious reasons. They'll be with Johnny and the rest of the team uh, at Le Sart on Sunday. So that's on uh, RS1 on Sunday test day, 8 o'clock uh, in the UK on the morning. And, of course, we're on RS2 for uh, IMSA Radio. Um, 63, change of driver there. Yeah, Alessandro Balzan saying on social media yesterday that he is going to have to miss Belle Isle because of a small uh, minor medical procedure, which is quite upsetting because Balzan has a very good record yes, at Belle Isle. Um, so the fact that he's not going to be there, it, of course, we want Balzan to get better soon. He's not going to be running with Cooper McNeil at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Cooper is going to be driving along Jeff Seagal, one of our all-time favorites. And Jeff has been roped in to drive in Belle Isle first. So both he and Cooper will be making the overnight dash to uh, France. But what it also means is that if Scuderia Course manages to get their fourth championship in five years, it would be Cooper McNeil on his own with balls on not scoring points at this round. A little bit upset about that. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, let's go through the classes. In three GTD, GT Daytona races here, we've had three uh, oh, three GTT races. We've had three different winning teams. Uh, likely to keep the streak alive here? I don't know. Um, the big factor is that the track is not smooth. It's quite bumpy. Mm. And it's very technical. So it's almost a combination of Sebring and Mid-Ohio. Well, we've had a couple of cars that have done really well at both Sebring and Mid-Ohio that have sort of stood out in my mind, those being the Acuras and uh, the Lamborghini. So it could be another good race for Paul Miller. I'm, of course, going to be watching the uh, Acuras with a lot of interest. Um, and then we've got the 33, the uh, Keating Mercedes. Well, remember, Ben hit the wall here last year, oh, yeah. injured his wrist. It's been a nagging injury ever since. They haven't won they have not won a race since that happened last year. They've both won at Belle Isle before, Ben and Jerome. Can they maybe get back on the right path? Shake the uh, dark curse off this weekend. While we're talking about GT Daytona, we've got a significant rookie who uh, hasn't <laughs> been to Belle Isle before. Is this the most? Now, I'm going to put this out to the collective. Um, rookie in GT Daytona, he's driving a Mercedes. That shouldn't be a surprise when you find out who it is. Um, classed as a rookie at Belle Isle because of course he hasn't been there before is this the most experienced rookie in their history of motor racing at Specutainment tell me what you think our rookie in GT Daytona is Bern Schneider <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun to say it's I, I it's just fantastic I think that's absolutely uh, brilliant there is going to be a driver um, who who's going to have a guest race in the DTM as a rookie later this year though uh, and that that is 
Zanardi, uh, isn't it? Alex Zanardi. Yeah, Alexander Zanardi is doing, which I'm really looking forward to. I think he'll be good. I think he'll be uh, really good. Uh, let's continue as we're on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, RSL 1, a part of the Radio Show Limited Network, uh, looking at our live coverage at the weekend from Belle Isle and the Detroit Grand Prix, the IMSA WeatherTech Championship. Excuse me. Um, and uh, that's GT Daytona. GT... Uh, GT uh, no, prototype. prototypes. Yes, prototype. <laughs> excuse me. GTP. You see, I want to see. Oh, that's what I've had in my head. Not yet. Oh. Uh, there will be a time when we'll see that again. Fourteen prototypes uh, and significantly performance tech. Not there. Not racing. They're doing testing instead. What is about you? Well, they're going to Watkins Glen because they feel that they've got a much better shot at a win in the endurance race. So they ah. have elected to go testing this weekend. I've seen some very funny things on Twitter from their account about how hard it is with the race weekend coming up not to be going there and to instead be going testing. But they are staying diligent. Uh, they really, really, really want to have the best opportunity with their Orica that they can. And after what we saw at Long Beach, which was not a great performance from them, they feel that skipping Belle Isle might not be the least expensive option out there. Hmm. Seems reasonable. Uh, at the very front of the field, uh, Jordan Taylor has won almost every year since 2012. Might as well give him the trophy now, John. I mean, it's pretty much expected. Here's the crazy thing for you. On When the green flag falls, it will have been 364 days since Wayne Taylor Racing got a win yes. because it was Detroit last Good year that point. they got their last win. Uh, so for Jordan, he's won every year since 2012, except for 2015, when Dane Cameron and Eric Curran came in and snuck the win instead. Renger van der Zanda has two wins at Belle Isle, so he also knows how to find the podium. And uh, them alongside of, well, they, alongside of the seventh duo of Elio and Ricky, our defending race winners coming off of the victory at Mid-Ohio, are the only two prototype cars who have previous wins at the track in terms of both drivers. So it's going to be really fun to see how Elio adapts to Belle Isle driving a car with a roof over his head since he's won there before, Mm. just with one where he could actually see the tires. Yeah. That's a fair point. Well, made. at 15, I think it was that uh, Jordan didn't win the race. Um, we mentioned the uh, the Penske power uh, earlier on about a number of things, including Indy. Of course, Penske, Penske have had a pretty decent um, May so far. Um, can they carry it on into the early part of June? Um, they won with the Acuras at Mid-Ohio. They won the Freedom... Um, uh, sorry, they won the... Um, uh, Indy Grand Prix, uh, then they win the Indy 500. Uh, all right, it's just outside the month, but they're, they're having a good one, aren't they, at the moment? The momentum, the big more is with them. Yeah, you can't deny that there is going to be a certain swagger around the Penske drivers uh, this weekend. They also had Dane Cameron and Ricky Taylor at the Indy 500 as guests, as well as Scotty McLaughlin. So really glad to see that he was able to make the long trip over to witness the Indy 500. But for Penske, there's definite uh, momentum on their side. Can't deny that. It's just going to be whether or not they can put it all together back to back. Coming in, you've got uh, GM with all of their headquarters. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Cadillacs. 
with a lot of pressure with Penske, who sets up the whole event. Yes. Keep an eye Does on the Mazdas. a great job as well, by the way. Great job. I agree 100%. Keep an eye on the Mazdas, though, because they might just be the big upset makers this weekend. And also the ESM cars. This is the only track on the schedule that none of the ESM drivers have won on. So that's something that they would like to correct this weekend as well. Uh, I've got 16 drivers heading to Le Mans. After the race, some of them will do the test. Some of them won't. Some uh, only 14, I think, are driving. Though is that right? Well, we've got 14 drivers who in, are going in the 24. Over... Yes, 14 drivers going over for the 24. Matthew McMurray and by the way, Spirit of Daytona. Welcome back, guys. Yes. We have missed that blue number yes. 90. Good point. So we get we get Mac McMurray who's going over to drive. I think it's the uh, Algarve Pro car just for the test. Uh, Colin Brown is going to be doing the Road to Le Mans support race, driving alongside Naj Hussein. So Colin also going to be going over to France a little bit later in June. But doing the double this weekend, get the party plane ready because we've got Philippe Albuquerque, JPM, Ricky Taylor, Ranger, Pipo, Felipe Nazar, Harry Tinknell, DHH, Ben Keating, Jerome Bleakamolin, Pat Long, Christina Nielsen, Cooper McNeil, Jeff Siegel. They're going to be very, very tired on Sunday morning. Yes, but most of them are in a private plane. So uh, I know at least three or four of them who are travelling together in a private plane. I almost managed to hitch uh, a lift on that, but I still couldn't get to Detroit in the first place. That is Friday and Saturday. <laughs> and then it's uh, then it's Le Mans test on Sunday. RadioLeMans.com, bottom of the page. That is where all of the times are, and it will auto-convert to whatever time zone you are in, provided you've got your browser set to that. Tim, before I let Shea go... Yes, uh, Lego. Yes, have, Lego have commemorated the career of Danica Patrick. Oh, really? By building oh. a life-size Danica Patrick out of Lego in Times Square. No way. In, in fairness, life-size for her—it's not That's... as many pieces as it would be life-size. So LeBron. the question for both of you is: How many pieces do you oh. think they use? And I'll give you a hundred each way. Cheer, you go first. Uh, 16,400. John? I'm way low. 14,200. John has obviously uh, looked this up because it's 14,189. Wow. Uh, it took 200 hours to build and there were 13 different colours in it. When I... Yeah, sorry about that. You nearly got a bit of Danica there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you know what this music means? Uh, it means you're going to talk about a movie. I'm going to talk about several movies. All right, quickly then. Uh, so, I'm just going to read out a na- some names of some actors. Yeah. Uh, Christian Bale. Yes. Uh, who else do we have here? Um, Rosano Brazzi. Right. Jill Rivers. Yeah. Vin Diesel. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. That'll do for now. Right. Uh, what do they have in common? They've all been in motor racing movies. Mm, not necessarily. Uh, they've all played racing drivers. No. Uh, they all work out? <laughs> uh, because uh, Christian Bale's on the list uh, for his role in The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, they've all driven 
Well, you see, he that was uh, he drove the Batmobile, which had NASCAR wheels and the NASCAR engine. What sort of car was that Batmobile? Um, well, uh, actually, it wasn't the Batmobile. It was the uh, Bruce Wayne car. The Lamborghini. The Lambo. It was an Aventador. Yes. Yes. All right. So they all drive Lambos. Uh, all of those people have driven Lamborghinis in the films, as well as. Uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, who had a, a Hurricane Coupe in uh, Doctor Strange. Rosano uh, Brazzi uh, drove the Mura in the Italian job. Yes, that I didn't knew that. last very long. Um, he was Roger. Roger, wasn't he? Jill Rivers um, was in the Cannonball Run in Lamborghini uh, Countach. I presume you mean the Cannonball Run, not the Cannonball Run. That's what I said. <laughs> uh, Sounded very much like Cannibal Run, which was a very different movie. Uh, Vin, well, you said Super Bites earlier. I know I did. Uh, Vin Diesel, uh, LM002 in Fast and Furious 4. That's the Jeep, big GPE off-roader thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Sylvester Sloane, the Lamborghini Jalpa in Rocky 4. Jalpa. Lovely car. Do you like those? Uh, Lamborghini is uh, hosting a special exhibition of uh, Lamborghinis used in movies at the Lamborghini Museum near Bologna. So the, ah, so that it's, it's a tenuous film called... Uh, uh, it's not actually a film, it's several films. It's I several see films, yes. yes. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll not get to see that because we're never anywhere near Bologna. It's exhibit... It's uh, open daily until the 31st of October from 9.30 to 7. Uh, so if you go anywhere so near over. Imola... Yes. And, uh, I mean, Johnny could have gone on Sunday instead of going to your house and eating a barbecue. Yes, true, but then he would have missed the uh, Indy 500. Right, lose that bed. I'll say thank you to Shear, and I'll see you Friday, bright and early, for our coverage on RS2 IMSA Radio from Belle Isle. Thanks, Shear. Oh, and we go to the baseball on Friday as well, aren't we? Yeah, we do. We get to see Toronto. Woohoo! You mean we get to see the Tigers? Uh, and the Blue Jays. Yeah, I've, I'm I'm rooting for the Tigers, Piff. Dude, Toronto. I went to the Blue Jays Stadium. I've been there too. I've yeah. looked, I've looked down yeah. there too. It's fun. Um, got to root for the hometown. Well, I will. I will see you Friday morning with your parking pass. Ah, <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Very important. Thank you, Shea. Shea Adam joining us live uh, this evening and part of our uh, Continental Tire pit lane. Hey, she is Continental is, um, is Shea's favourite circuit, isn't it? In the US. Ah, because you can get can Tim, go Hortons. To Tim Hortons. There's a and few drive now, through Tim Hortons. There, there are, the yes, but they're, they're, um, they had them at Mid Ohio as well. I Ooh. seem to remember. Uh, anyway, um, a couple of weeks ago, you might remember we uh, announced ourselves. Um, well, we didn't announce ourselves. We announced that we were the exclusive digital media partner for Bentley's attempt at the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb for 2018. Uh, not for Bentley. Uh, the idea of taking up a GT3 car or something like that up the 12 and three quarter miles. Oh no, they are going to take up an SUV and try and set a new record for an SUV. The Bentley Bentayga, of course, is a very sophisticated machine and in near road form, it will be being pedalled up the hill at very rapid pace somewhere around about a 65 miles an hour average by Rhys Milne, who's taken top time uh, on the race to the clouds a couple of times. Uh, in our second feature about uh, this extraordinary challenge, earlier on this week, I spoke to the Global Motorsports Technology Manager of, 
of ExxonMobil, David Surisaki, uh, about why mobile want to get involved in something that is so challenging and so difficult. Anytime you have a, an extreme uh, test of the skill of a car and a driver and an engine, that, that's something we like to get involved with because with Mobile One, we're trying to test the, the ultimate limits of our products and our engine oils. So something like a Pikes Peak run, it, it fits us perfectly. You're, you're drag racing up a hill over 156 turns, seven, seven degree plus grade. I mean, this thing is uh, the ultimate test, and uh, you're pushing the car to its limits, and we like to show that Mobile One has the ability to do that. When the guys at Bentley under Brian Gush said, David, we've got this idea. We're going to send a Bentayga, one of the world's most prestigious SUVs, in fairly standard form up Pikes Peak. We <laughs> want you to get involved. I mean, was there a bit of head-scratching there, or was it just a no-brainer? Yes, absolutely. We want to get involved. And, and what were the challenges from your point of view? First of all, I said, an, uh, my first question was, an SUV? Is that what you said? <laughs> so it's, uh, it is quite a challenge. It is an interesting concept to, to do this, not with a race car or a sports car, to do it with an SUV. Uh, so this, this was quite an interesting challenge. We were wondering if we needed to have specially developed products and, and if this was going to be a modified vehicle. But no, they said they're going to take the car fundamentally as it would come off a showroom. And our, our initial thoughts was, let, let's see, let's take a look at this as using the same oil that we would use in the factory that the customers would get when they go to get an oil change in their car. And uh, let's see how we can push the limits of our oil in their car. I, I happen to know that every Bentley Bentayga that comes out of crew is first filled with Mobile One. So you're telling me that's exactly the same engine oil that's going to tackle Pikes Peak as every single other Bentayga that comes out of crew. Absolutely correct. Our, our thoughts were that uh, we're, we're gonna, we feel we have the ability within Mobile One engine oil, the added abilities to handle, handle pressures and temperatures and extremes that, that maybe an everyday consumer is not going to see very often. But we, we like to show the customers that when you push the limits of your car, you, one thing you don't have to worry about is the engine oil. And the engine oil can handle it. So we thought this was a good test and a good statement to make that the, the Mobile One product that you're getting from the factory and you're getting when you go to a, a Bentley dealership to get an oil change, that it has the same energy to perform as, as the um, the car and the motor oil that we're using in this uh, Pikes Peak run. So it's a great testament and a great challenge, not only for the car and the driver, but for our oil. Uh, David, I know that when you are partnering with any of your original equipment manufacturers, car manufacturers, I'm not sure, though, that when you were talking for the original specification of Mobile One for Bentley Bentayga, that this kind of extreme would have been even in the far edges of the performance envelope. I mean, can you even test for this sort of thing? You, you can look at extreme conditions, and when you're designing an engine oil like Mobile One, you're, you're designing for, for conditions beyond the norms because we developed Mobile One to be a, a product that performs beyond normal test parameters and, and beyond normal test conditions. So, yeah, we have built-in capabilities of the oil, so we can look at things like these types of extremes. So we're literally running this car hard as we can. They're accelerating fast. They're braking hard. They're accelerating hard again and, and running uphill and going uphill at the same time. So this is going to be a test for, what, 12 minutes? 
So they're going to be running pretty hard flat out for 12 minutes, and uh, we've got to do our job during that whole period of time. But, yeah, when we work with the engineers at Bentley and any other OEM we're working with, uh, we're looking at the extreme conditions, and we want to make sure that the oil, and I'm sure for them, every part of that car is designed to go beyond just a typical application, but uh, we got to work. We got to design it for for extremes, and this is a good test of that. In motorsport terms, there's not really practice and qualifying for this, um, so there's not a lot of time for you to gather information. It's not as if you can potter up there and give it a shot. If you'll uh, pardon the the pun with someone who works in lubricants, the pressure is on for everybody here, isn't it? Absolutely, and you. You look at the, your time slot is set, right? You only get a certain time slot to do this. If your car is not ready, they'll just skip you by, and uh, I don't think you get another chance. So uh, you have to be ready. You've got to do all the preparations you can in advance. We did do some testing, uh, not exactly at Bikes Peak, but we did some testing with some uphill grades and some high-speed turns and uh, did as much as we could to get ready for it out in, in the west coast of uh, the U.S., but you're right. It's not the same thing. You don't get a real good chance of uh, doing a couple of runs because they're literally running different cars, motorcycles, cars, SUVs, race cars. They're doing that all weekend. So you get your time slot. You got to be ready and you get one time to do it. I accept that there will be parts of this that you are comfortable and know about but what gets me here and and i don't know the technical part of this and maybe you can shed some light you start at nearly five thousand feet and then climb now nine thousand feet in 12 and three quarter miles to just over fourteen thousand feet the altitude here david what does that do to lubricant i understand what it does in terms of air pressure and taking fuel into the engine is there any negative connotations there that you guys have got to be careful about i don't think that that's going to be a piece that that uh, we're going to be worried about but the engine will be under a lot of stress so obviously then then we have to get concerned with temperatures rising and pushing the the envelope on the engine because as you know the higher they're going to get the uh, the air density is going to be different so they've got to adjust uh, I know that the drivers, many of the drivers, get oxygen tanks mm. because they start um, getting tunnel vision, right? But the engine doesn't get that opportunity. So <laughs> the engine's going to just continually be pushed harder and harder and harder the higher they go. And obviously, temperatures could rise and the stresses on the components could rise uh, and get more intense. So we've got to be able to have our oil protect the engine components and keep it cool at the same time. And can you model that, David? I know that, you know, like many parts of the automotive industry and indeed motorsport, simulation nowadays is a big part of everything that you do. Is that something that you've been able to recreate in the virtual world? Well, well not necessarily with this application, but yes, you're right. We, in many racing applications, you get the opportunity with some of, some of the OEMs we work with to do computational modeling. So you can take a look at a component and look how the oil is going to flow under certain certain temperatures, certain conditions. So it, it actually is quite revolutionary what's going on in the manufacturing world and the automotive space about com- computer modeling and the ability to look at even you know how is the oil gonna going to uh, handle aeration at at the churning rates of of a gear. Um, those are the kind of things you can do on modeling. But bottom line. That's just a model, and you still have to test it in real in the real world. 
What do we learn from this? I know that you like taking on challenges. I know that Bentley, uh, particularly with that Bentley boy spirit, like taking on challenges. Uh, Ultimately, though, I know also that you guys like to take something away from this. These kind of extreme situations for Mobile One, do I, down the line, as a consumer, putting oil into my everyday streetcar, do I benefit from these kind of challenges? I think it's not just uh, this particular challenge. It's challenges like this and similar to this. It's any of the motorsports uh, arenas that we're working on with Bentley and, and other companies. But the, the, the racing platform that our group is working under is all about innovation and all about creating new technologies that we can use in the future. So if there's a, uh, a wear protection additive or if there's something that, that helps with air release or any other components that we may find during extreme conditions like this, you may see that component and you may see parts of, of the components in the future Mobile One products that you, you see on the road. And that, that really is where Mobile One starts from. If we go back 30 or 40 years, it's the evolution from events like this, land speed record, Pike Peaks run, 24-hour Le Mans, whatever it happens to be, those are all learning environments for us to make our products better and better. David, I love this. I think it's a brilliant idea. Can't wait to get out to Colorado, and we wish you and Bentley the best of luck. Yes, thank you very much. We appreciate it, and we're looking forward to the event also. David Sarasaki is the uh, Motorsports Technology Manager at ExxonMobil, talking about Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, and uh, listen out for some more exclusive features on the Radio Show Limited network of channels, including some from the event. Uh, all coming up uh, later on this month and in the early part of next month. And that is about all we've got time for. Uh, Remember, two live events at the weekend, Friday and Saturday, RS2, IMSA Radio, Sunday, RS1, Mobile One, Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM. The transmitter gets fired up uh, on FM around the circuit and around the world on RS1. Thanks to all our guests tonight, to Tim, our executive producer up in London. The responsible adult was Eve Hewitt. I'm John Hindoff. I'll speak to you from Detroit at the weekend. In the meantime, there's no time to explain because the llama is getting a very nice gentle ride up a mountain. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.